All right, Jason Frankworth coming up in episode number five. We had a fantastic time recording this podcast. Jason is just a fun guy, uh, super nice, uh, great drummer, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Uh, he comes from Regina, and he was here for a week performing at our theater, the Walters Theater, and did a fantastic job. We had a great band uh, backing up a uh, Kenny Rogers tribute from uh, from Arizona. And these guys did uh, wonders and really enjoyed listening to Jason perform all week long. And we sat down and chatted. So let's get this thing going. All right, we're at uh, episode number five with Jason Brinkworth. Uh, Awesome to have you here. Yeah, man. Five is my favorite number, so that's great. Perfect. I love it. Uh, it was First of all, it was a blast last week. Um, it was last week already. It feels like it's two weeks ago I, already. I know. I know. We had so much fun, and it was uh, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. It was great. Jason came up and uh, performed at our theater uh, for the week with a Kenny Rogers tribute we had up here from Arizona, and uh, the band was smoking. It was fun. It was yeah. everybody really stepped up and and uh dave was great it was yeah it was just a good experience all around the cool thing was uh during sound check and rehearsal like literally the very first song off the gate was great like usually it takes a while for everybody to settle in but it felt good right from the first couple of bars yeah that's all that's that doesn't happen every no every and that, that's always a funny thing like you know you know playing gigs and just pick up gigs and you fill in with guys and yeah. you know when you show up at a you know, kind of a, not a strange place, but I had never played here before and I yeah. had never met three of the people, three of the five people I've never met before. Yeah. And you sit down and everybody, you just count them in and everybody starts playing and it just sort of works. And that first two minutes kind of tells you how the rest of the whole thing is going to go because you just go, what's happening? Do we trust each other? Do we, you know, and it was yeah. there right away. It was funny because uh, uh, I didn't, I kind of caught it, but I don't think everyone else caught it. But after that first run through of the first song, um, Dave, the singer from Arizona, he was like, he was just kind of beside himself. He was like, have you guys actually played with Kenny Rogers before? Yeah. <laughs> I and, remember you said that. And I, it was like, oh, I thought oh, that's a cute comment. Then he said later, he was really serious. Yeah. It was so good that he thought you guys must have played with Kenny Rogers before. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a huge compliment, you know, and it obviously when you're playing with any group, cause it's a team sport, you know, yeah. the singer, the front person is sort of heading it up and in that situation you know you're playing a tribute act so yeah. it has to it should sound like kenny rogers records if he's going to sound like them we should sound like them that's what i think you know what a funny comment i heard from uh my brother-in-law uh, during the intermission at one of the shows i haven't told you guys this yet uh he walked outside and he, he was just listening to what people were saying as he was walking through and and he, there was two couples talking and they were like they were almost uh mad about this and he says they didn't say it in a, in a nice way. They said it in a negative way. They said they sound so good and so much like the record. We could have just stayed home and played the CD. But he said he, they said it in a way not that it was complimentary. <laughs> they said it in a way that they were ticked off that it was so good that they might as well have just stayed home and listened to the record. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of confusing, but that's good. You know, Isn't that's, that the that's, weirdest comment ever. I, yeah, I've, that's a new one. I'm gonna have to remember that one. That's kind of that's kind of bizarre. But that the, yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, it was 
I thought so too, but it's like, wow, what a thing to complain about. It's so good. I'm so glad he heard we that. Stay home. <laughs> well, no, don't stay home. Everybody has to come out to this theater. They have to see this place. This is like, this is magical out here. Oh, thank you. Totally. Well, I'm glad you came out and it was a fun week. And, uh, uh, you know, we go back. Uh, it was funny because we, uh, I knew your wife yep. before, you know, we met. And uh, obviously, uh, she grew up in the Woodstock area. Close Absolutely. To here. And Laura, uh, we met at a few different shows and kind of knew of each other. And and then uh, that was my connection to you. So when I was touring we'd, uh, out west and we always get together and it's been fun. And yeah, and uh, it's, it's been great. And I, I told you once before, a good friend of mine, Ron Sharones, who owns the PA shop. And, and uh, he talked about uh, when you were playing with Aaron, um, at the Boot Hill Festival a couple of summers ago. I'm not sure yes. if it was last summer or the summer before. And he texted me and it was like, this rhythm section is the best rhythm section I've ever heard. He was freaking out. And he's a bass player and he's been, you know. He's you been, know we just pay these guys off. Right? I know. All these people. And it, was, it was great. Yeah, I said, yeah, that's Jason, man. It's, uh, um, so yeah, he was, he was really blown away. But anyways, I'm glad we actually connected in the way that we actually, we weren't performing together, but we were working on the same show together. And Yeah. And uh, Unfortunately, there was no fiddle in uh, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, there was there <laughs> so was some. Parts. Dave Dave was trying to get you up there, but yeah. you know you're you're running around doing eighty other things, so you can't. Yeah, he's, Dave <laughs> said to me, "I really want to hear you play the violin, you know, or the fiddle." And then it's like, "Okay, um, how do I, how do we do that? Want me just bring it up and play?" <laughs> uh, yeah. It was awkward. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, I was sort of like, "Well, I can't really sit in with the band. I'm kind of busy over here, and there was no no fiddle on the band. I've done that." I've done that here a few times where, you know, somewhere in the week, you know, the artists are like, oh, you played a fill? Yeah, well, come on. And eventually yeah. I'll end up. Um, that happened to me with, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to edit this probably. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, I'm just drawing a blank. He's from the, um, used to play with the uh, Statler Brothers. And uh, he sang with the Statler yeah. brothers, Jimmy Fortune. Oh yeah! Oh, gosh, I couldn't, I can't believe Jimmy. If you're listening, I'm very sorry. <laughs> so Jimmy was here for uh, a week, and he was just we hired him, just him and his guitar doing acoustic thing, yeah. and it was fantastic. And he was doing you know all the Statler brothers hits, yeah, because he sang a lot of those, and yeah. um, he wrote a lot of those songs. And at mid part of the week, um, he said, you know, why don't you come up and play song so i did that and that turned into me playing the whole show yes and i remember the first show um it, it was surreal because i'm playing and one of my favorite all-time Statler Brothers songs is a song called elizabeth yeah um beautiful song oh, he yeah. wrote it he sang it and we're doing it and he just kind of turns to me and points and says take a solo and <laughs> and it was just like um, it's one of the only times I really felt almost like an out, outer, out of body experience where yep. it's like, wow, I'm actually weird. This is weird. I'm actually playing, playing this song, this with, the song guy. with the guy who yeah. wrote it and sang it. And it feels like I'm actually with the Sattler brothers, yeah. even though it was just him. And uh, uh, I finished and I looked over to my right where I usually sit in the tech area. And I had just had, my sister Kim was sitting there just kind of watching over things for me. And I looked over and she had tears coming down her eyes. Yeah. Because it's, her, it's one of her favorite songs as well. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that was one of the coolest 
things about having our venue here that those opportunities uh, present themselves, right? Yeah. Well, and as a and, player, though, you know, those are the moments we look for, and they're few and far between. Yeah. But when they happen, it's, there's nothing else in your lifetime that would ever be like that. Yeah, ever. you get some of those goosebump moments, right? Yeah. And those, and it's hard to explain and project what that's like unless you've been a musician gone through it yourself. absolutely and, you know and, you, and your family's there and they're connected because they you know know the music and the writers there and you know the stars just lined up that day and it yeah, yeah that, that would have been incredible to yeah see it was, that it was uh it was really great um but let's get back to uh yourself um let's talk about where you grew did you grow up in regina i did yeah i i've, I've lived there all my life i know that sounds kind of odd living in the middle of nowhere in the prairies and you yeah. stay there forever but uh there was a lot of things through my life there was there was chances to leave but no real no real reason i guess to leave and stuff and it yeah it's i don't know it's what i know yeah well it's it's great i like it there yeah um so when did you start playing drums when did you get that musical interest um well i it, that's interesting i was just thinking about that on the way out and i just listened to Corey's podcast yeah and uh yourself and Corey in the family bands you know you guys had all that going on and it was just happening and when i grew up there was we, we had a big family my mom had 11 brothers and sisters and on my dad's side there was five kids but uh, there was no music. There was there was absolutely like nothing. Like we listened to a lot of music. Yeah. But there was nobody that played. And I remember, I I think I remember from like five, I wanted to play drums. And yeah. I asked. It never happened. I was eight, and my parents put me in guitar. But that only lasted a month because that's not what I wanted. And then yeah. finally, when I was thirteen, they decided that they had to you know stop this begging and just start me. So yeah. I started the first Saturday. Uh, I started the Saturday before I started grade nine in 1983. Yeah, so that's, I wouldn't say it's late, but it's not No, not early. Not at all. No, no, no. And, and, it, uh, and, and I really wanted to play. Like, uh, you know, I remember my parents never had to tell me to practice. There was a lot of times they asked me not to practice, yeah. but not to practice because I was just, I was obsessed. I just, it became something I just loved. Do you remember your very first lesson? Do you remember like walking oh, in the abs door? Yeah, absolutely. I actually just talked talked to that teacher about four months ago. I was doing some shows in Edmonton, and I talked to him. I remember, yeah, I remember walking in and sitting down. I remember getting this beat up Remo practice pad and these pearl drumsticks. They had pearl and a green logo. There were two Bs. Yeah. Uh, the Ludwig snare drum. But I, I remember everything about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, like it was yesterday. Oh yeah, it was it was because I wanted to play. There's something about that first one you remember. Oh man, I don't remember like, the second or third. Or the fourth, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that first no. one. Yeah, and I remember driving home and you know, just beating the crap out of this practice pad. And my dad was like, "Do we really need to do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, kind of. I'm I'm doing this now." Yeah, <laughs> but it, yeah, it was uh, it was great, and I had I had I had friends that played, but it wasn't really around. Like I I I don't know. I had lots of family that loved music. Yeah. And, and would listen to records and stuff and, you know, old country records and, and that, you know, that, that like the Kenny Rogers thing that you mentioned, that was a real part of my childhood. Yeah. Like even learning these songs. And I was like, I could, I've never played some of these songs ever in my life, but I could play them. I just knew them subconsciously. Yeah. Which is nice. So, totally. Nice. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's, I, I think I was just really connected to it, but I played sports as a kid. You know, I played hockey, I played baseball and I loved yeah. being on a team and stuff. And, and I think that was part of the drum thing too, because you know, drums aren't really a solo instrument and I love being on a team. That's, uh, that's one of the biggest things for me is being a good team player Yeah, and, and the drums you need to be on the team and, you know, be the goalie and good defense and 
that's a tough thing when you you're starting to play drums is that it's not like guitar where you can just sit and play a song right yeah it's there's nothing but hitting yeah stuff right exactly. and it's just, it just doesn't sound like much it no, sounds like the same it's thing over be, and over it's got to be hard i mean because yeah. it's not it's not like any other instrument. Yeah. Well, I know from my parents too. Like I, I just remember all the hours practicing in the basement. Like I remember there was a neighbor of ours that he worked in the summertime during the exhibition that went on in town. He'd work security at nighttime for the Lions Club. And that was the only week I wasn't allowed to practice. And it killed me. Like oh, yeah. I, I dreaded that week in July. I was like, oh man, this is the worst. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, down to, I can't imagine my parents like the hours and hours of sitting and I would have headphones on playing along to records and stuff. And they don't know, they don't hear the music. They're just hearing all the, yeah, <laughs> all the all banging the... and never, com- they never complained. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I thank them from the bottom of my heart, but they never once, you know, said, keep it down or. Well, they were seeing, I think for a parent seeing that their kid is really interested and devoted to something. Totally. It's really important. Whether yeah. It could be anything, but yeah. just be able to be that focused and really in, into something. Absolutely. That, that, that would totally must've been it because I was obsessed. Like I'd come home, like my school, my high school is like half a block from my house, fortunately. Yeah. So I would be able to walk home at lunchtime and practice for 45 minutes, would have lunch for 55 minutes, practice for 45 minutes, run upstairs, my mom would have a sandwich waiting for me and I'd just grab it and run out and run back to school. Yeah. And that was just what I did every day. Wow. I'd have friends come over and like listen to me practice and stuff. Oh yeah, it was, yeah. It was but I would just do that. Like it wasn't like I, and I, it wasn't ever, it was never forced. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a good thing. Cause it's, you know, I've talked about this in the other podcasts so far. It's, it's tough nowadays can you imagine now starting with all the distractions oh, around oh yeah it'd be it'd be so different i know i see yeah. it and 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 i'm glad i'm glad i i you know the things happen the way they did that i saw that because now in my own teaching i really see how you know what's motivating students and how they're what they're getting out of it and stuff and i can really understand it and kind of gear it you know some give them some of what i had and stuff but yeah there's there's a lot of distractions now like if i if yeah. if youtube was around i wouldn't have finished high school there's no way yeah i would have just stayed home and practiced drums all like shot videos <laughs> it would have been out of hand yeah and that's the other thing i mean there's the negative part of it but then there's the positive part totally right? so there's all these distractions as far as well i could play drums but i could do this 100 million other things play games and do whatever yeah be on, just be on the internet and doing stuff but yet as a player, now you can go on to YouTube and search everything. Yeah, like last, every, last night. Yeah, yeah, last night before bed. You know, I'm searching around and I find old clips of Jeff Beccaro playing with Toto, which he's he's my favorite player. Yeah. But, you know, finding this from like, you know, 1985, this concert from somewhere. It's like, where would you find that? And kind of just trying to wrap my head around it going, wait, I'm sitting here and I'm watching this essentially for free. Yeah. And I'm being inspired beyond belief right here in the comfort of like, my own space yeah it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense but it does you know it's like man that's wicked yeah it gives you a chance to see a lot more you know when we grew up you know that you didn't know when the next album was coming out and yeah. you just it just all of a sudden there was be oh it'd be on the radio and all of a sudden you'd go or you go to their the record store yeah and you know you see that shelf in the front was you know the newest releases and 
Totally. And, and that would be exciting. You pick the album up, you buy that album, yeah. you go home and you listen to the whole listen thing. Listen to both sides, yeah. reading all the credits and reading all the players and learning all the yeah, names. Yeah, you got to know who all the players were. Now, is there, there's no credits for anything. It's That drives yeah, me a little crazy. Yeah, kids don't know who's playing on what. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think diehards do. But yeah. It's not like it used to be. You no. know, we used to know who, oh, exactly who played. Oh on yeah, no, that was and that was a that was a big thing. I know back in high school, you know, my family, you know, primarily would listen to older country music, some Elvis and stuff like that. But there was nothing current, no rock stuff really. Yeah. So when I started playing, I was really exposed to a lot of different things, and my teacher was really into Rush and Yes and Saga and a lot of progressive stuff. So he brought that in and it was foreign to me. Yeah. Um, but I dug it, I thought it was amazing. And then really got into that. And then I, I can't even remember what tipped me off and it was the Toto 4 record. And I, and I remember having that record and I remember reading the credits and seeing all the Picaro names, um, Steve Lukather, just, just reading all the stuff. And then from then just reading, like seeing all these records and you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller and Boz Skaggs and all this stuff and then just seeing the same names on the records. And then I think that, I think at that point I was like, how do these guys just play on all this stuff? Like how do you, like yeah. the guys play with other people? How does that even you know, work? And that really, it, that really kind of started the whole team thing for me, just seeing that and going, oh, you play songs. Yeah. Oh, I get it. You know, and then the whole Nashville thing was another thing, which, you know, you're probably familiar with the whole Mark O'Connor thing, yeah. the Nashville Cats and all that. And you see Eddie Bears and Paul Lyme and all these. And it's like, these guys' names show up everywhere. It's like, well, yeah, that's what you do. Well, back then, there were just a few guys who were playing on everything anyways. Yep, absolutely. I mean, even the total guys were playing on <sighs> so much. It's ridiculous. I don't, think, I don't think they'll ever know exactly how many records those guys played on. Because yeah. it, was, it was insane. And you take a look. Uh, I know I heard it a while ago on... Glenn Campbell, you know, back in his guitar playing days. Oh, yeah. As you know, one of the number one session guitar players in LA. Yeah. In the top 20 Billboard songs of all time, he's playing in a, on a bunch of them. I know. Like a whack, not like two. Yeah. It's like 10 or 12 yeah. of the top ones. He's he's the guitar player for. Totally. And yeah. that's that's where the, the, the studio thing kind of came to light, I think, was with the Wrecking Crew, with Glenn Campbell, yeah. and then, you know, Hal Blaine and Earl Palmer playing drums, and, uh, you know, all the guys that were involved in that. That was, yeah, that's a whole other world, but yeah. Like, could you imagine that? Like, that's crazy, just sitting playing all day, and then all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're hearing this radio and going, I played on that song. Oh, yeah, I played on that one. Oh, yeah. I'm on that one, too. And it's like, from the Beach Boys to Sinatra to... You, <laughs> you wonder, because I know, you know, stuff I've recorded in the past, and you, you listen to it, and it's like, gosh, I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but you must remember, you th must think about them, the amount of sessions they did. Oh yeah, they just run together. Yeah, you th they probably don't even remember half the stuff they played on. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't ask. Like, yeah, that? you couldn't break anything down and go, hey, do you remember doing this? And this is like, no. did I play on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did, you know, but that was, that, and that became in high school, later in high school, that became huge for me was just like seeing all these names and kind of just starting to piece that together and going, okay, I see not exactly how it goes, but I see that there's a reason these guys work with everybody. Yeah. There's, you know, there has to be a reason that they're getting hired by all these people to play on, on all different kinds of music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Toto guys played on records and you wouldn't even know it was them because they sound, they sounded nothing like that. Yeah. My good, uh, good friend, uh, Josh Rogers, he's a drummer from Texas and, uh, he's, he's played up here before and, 
just on Facebook last night, he was at the Total concert. Yeah. And I was man. like, oh, I was looking at it and I go, oh, man, I want to be there so bad. Yeah. And, you, and now, like, Shannon Forrest is playing drums with Toto. Yeah. And Shannon Forrest, you know, is so much like Jeff Beccaro. But Shannon Forrest played on Toby Keith records and Taylor Swift records out of Nashville and stuff. Yeah. And you'd listen to those records and go, yeah, that's probably not the guy that plays with Toto. It's like, well, yeah, but these guys are chameleons, especially the Nashville guys. Like, players, there's great players everywhere, but the, man, the Nashville drummers, Rich Redmond and Greg Morrow and like the Nurzi and like, these guys are yeah, so good. Yeah. But they're good song players. They just play the song for three and a half minutes and the drums are almost like wallpaper yeah. and it is just how it should go. Having that country bass is, I think, really important to some players. It's it's no different than, I'll take my instrument, which is the fiddle, violin, whatever. It's really hard for a classical person to transition to, and play a fiddle tune. 100%. I haven't, I haven't heard it happened properly yet mm -hmm. but a fiddle player can cross over to classical it's not going to be quite the same right but you're not going to go oh they don't know what they're doing right they, they can make yeah. you know they can make it work and i don't know what it is about that and it's the same i think transition for rock guys rock guys have a real hard time playing country yeah and it's not that they don't have the chops for it it's it's not sure if they think it's too easy and yeah but that's part of the hard thing about playing country. Sometimes it is yeah, simple. Totally. And you have to be able to make the simple sound good. Absolutely. And, whether, you know, and that goes back to, you know, just understanding this and, and just the whole geeking out with this is, you know, understanding in country music, you know, drums were frowned upon. Like when, you know, no one wanted drums on the Opry. And when it first happened, you know, with Buddy Harmon back in the 60s, they, they made him play behind the curtain. Yeah. And all, they only gave him a snare drum and one brush and one stick, and that's all he could use. And he sounded great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you listen to the old records he played on, all the, you know, the, the classic stuff. He was the guy. You don't even know there's no kick drum. Yeah. You know, it just sounds great. And it's like, man, yeah, that's lots of what times it is. The stand up bass yeah. is doing that kick thing, right? Yeah. Slapping and creating that. Yeah. That yeah. and just and just the shuffle now. just you know yeah. those shuffles had a had a way that they sat in the old ray price music and say you yeah you know all this and it's like you know you have to study that like that's not just something you go oh it's a shuffle okay it's like well yeah but there's you know there, there, there's 25 versions of that which one are you playing here and the country stuff i think you're right taught a lot of people about that yeah you know the, the, yeah because you know the groove sways a bit more in, in older country stuff. It, it goes like this and some rock stuff, not all rock stuff, but ro more rock stuff is, is a little more up and down and in yeah. rigid and music sways a bit. It does. It's not just all up and down. And I think that especially as a drummer, cause the feel is that's everything. And it doesn't matter if you're playing in time, if you're playing the wrong feel, yeah. it's torture for the singer and everybody else participating and for the audience like yeah. you know you see their shoulders up and they're stressed out and it's like oh man I'm not relaxing or it's just not feeling right yeah. so players really have to zone in on that that's you know yeah I agree with that so do you what was your first band that, or what's your first playing with other people experience my first band uh, it was my second year of playing, and uh, there was a band program at the. At, uh, it was called the Academy of Music, and there was a band program. And the person that ran this band program, his name was Ray Bell, and he was a guitar player. Um, and he sort of ran the band program and put students together and had these bands. And ironically enough, that so many years later, uh, the music school. Uh, that him and I own now, we've been in business for 17 years, we're still friends. And that was like, I was 14 wow. when that all happened. And yeah. I'm 
18 now, so, you know, four years ago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that was a long time ago. So yeah. he put these bands together, and the bands would play some concerts at the place and stuff like that. But there was two bands of, uh, of kids, because we were all teenagers, and he saw that we really loved playing, and he just saw something in us. So he, he started finding us gigs around town. Like, we'd play... Uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings on Saturday nights and he'd take all the gear and set all the PA up and would come in with all our gear and the two bands would play and I think we'd each make like 30 bucks and he'd take nothing because he just saw that we just loved playing and he would yeah. like find all these places for us to play and we didn't even realize what was going on. It just became normal for us to go, hey, we got this gig and we're playing the band, you know, each each of those bands must have known 30 or 40 songs and it was, it was I loved it. It was the, it was the best. That's pretty neat. It was the best. Yeah, the very, actually, the very first band I played in, and it only lasted a little while, but it was some players that were older than me. I think I was 14, and they were 18 and 19. And it was two guitar players, a bass player, and a girl playing keyboards, and there was no singer, and no one wanted to sing. Like, they couldn't get anybody to sing. And in my infinite wisdom, because I'm always, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity that I'm always walking each side of this line, <laughs> I say, I'll do it. Yeah. I had never sang before, let alone sang and played drums. I had no idea. You know, so we're doing old time rock and roll and we're doing Mama Let Him Play and I'm the singer in the band. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I have no business doing this, but no one else wanted to do it. And I'm like, someone's got to do this. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. So then, so then the second band was the one that started playing more, but uh, yeah, it was great. It was the best. It's good. It's a good trait when you're at that age to throw yourself in there. I, I didn't know you, any different. No. But you think now that could be pretty nerve wracking. You think twice about it now. <laughs> yeah, but there's still things I do where I'm like, what am I doing? I've got no business doing that. And somehow I land on my feet and I'm like, well, oh, okay. Yeah. That's fine then, I guess. That's what you do, right? So the second band uh, that you, you played around town and. Yeah, we yeah. played for, we played for a, probably about a year and a half. And then the bass player and the guitar player in that band and myself uh, started a, we had a trio. And we started playing, this was when I was in like grade 11 and 12, and we started playing like high school dances and stuff, but we started finding our own gigs yeah. around town and just doing that. And the, uh, the bass player, uh, his name's Keith Nakanechny. He lives in Winnipeg now, but he went on to play with a band called the Waltons. Yeah. One uh, Juno's years ago, and they, they were on the, the Bare Naked Ladies Gordon record and stuff. And Keith was amazing. But yeah, the three of us had an absolute blast playing. It was the best. Good. Oh, man. Um, and then where'd you move from there? Then, uh, after that, I graduated high school and in my mind, um, my mom really wanted me to get a job with the phone company, Sastel, yeah. uh, cause my uncle had worked there and he was like very far up in the company and that was a good responsible move to make, get a job stable there. Stable job. A stable job. Right. And in my mind. Uh, one of the, actually one of the first things I wanted to do after high school was go into radio, oh, yeah. believe it or not. And, uh, but I had filled when in grade 12, I had actually filled out the application. This is back when you had to mail things to places, yeah. uh, and, and wait for the mail to show up in your mailbox. Yeah. Uh, I had filled out the application to go to, um, PIT in LA. I thought, you know, just through hearing the Picaro and reading all these names, I thought, man, that'd be great. So I put the application in, they sent it back said how much it would be to go. I was like, okay, well, that's not an option. Yeah. So I had um, thought, well, you know, I'll go into radio. But at that point, I had joined a band. Uh, and this band, Ray, the person who started our, it's just funny how all this stuff goes back around. Yeah, it all it is circular, right? Uh, it was his band. And these guys were all in their late 30s. And I was, uh, I was 18. 
And they had a band called Fast Freight. And it was a country band and they were playing six, that was back when you play six nights a week and they were playing six nights a week at the club in town and doing some other gigs here and there. Uh, And they asked me to join the band and I didn't get it. They had a drummer who was their age and I didn't understand till years later why they wanted me in their band. So I joined that band and the radio thing didn't quite didn't work out and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to play. And I'm still and and at this point, when I was in grade twelve, I started teaching drums at the place that I took lessons. Okay, yeah. they needed a teacher, and I had no business teaching. But again, I'm like, I'll do it. Sure, why not? Yeah. So I started teaching. So I was teaching drums and playing in this band called Fast Freight. And Fast Freight, we played 1988. We played the Calgary Stampede at the Westin Hotel, and we were the the house band. And there was two bands. There was us. We were the country band. And then there was a rock pop band from Baltimore called the Admirals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we would trade one hour sets. And it would be 12 hours of straight music, but we would play, have an hour off, play, yeah. have an hour off. I'm 18. I think this is the best thing. And, and I don't, do you know where Roy, Roy Warhurst is? Oh, yeah. So Roy Warhurst yeah. is running the band. Yeah. So he's like there and he's sort of like heading up fast freight. So we're backing him yeah. up. I don't know who Roy is. Yeah. I learned more in that 10 days of stampede than ever. Yeah. Right. So I'm this kid playing six hours a day. I'm loving it. It's the best. It's stampede. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and we end up playing two breakfasts. We played the Chinook breakfast and we played another breakfast on the stampede grounds and, uh, the family Brown opened for us. And that was the first time I saw Steve Patico play, which was mind blowing. Yeah. But we backed up Wilf Carter. Oh, cool. I was 18 wow. and I'm backing up Wolf Carter Yeah, and Wolf Carter. I, I, I remember, I remember this again, like it was yesterday. And I remember we're going out for the first gig and we had learned the songs, but some of the songs, there's no endings yeah. or anything. And Roy said, you know what? Just watch his right heel. He'll lift his heel up and on the next one. And I was yeah. like, what are you kidding me? And there's like, how many people at the Chinook breakfast? 8,000 people. I'm like, watch his heel. Like, come on. So I'm like, panic just wa- like watching his foot and sure enough the first song the heel goes up the next one we end i'm like he's not kidding around yeah and that's the way it went that's, he's a legend yeah that's pretty old-timey thing right <sighs> that's they that's they're so used to just directing a band a certain way yeah whether it's a guitar or um it's just always a certain little move yeah they give the band and yeah oh we're done yeah and I, you know things like that like i learned so much playing in that band I, I think I still don't know all that I learned, but I didn't get that. I didn't get how heavy that experience was till probably about 20 years after that. Yeah. When, when I was telling someone the story about that and they're like, you know, that's pretty heavy playing for Wolf Carter. Like oh, he's yeah. a legend. And then like stepped me through the whole thing, which I knew a bit of it, but I was like, Oh, Oh, I see. Okay. But I'm 18. You know, I'm just kind of going, man, why am I, why am I in this band? I don't even know why I'm in this situation, but apparently I can do it because they've asked me to. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. That's great. Still blow. I, I get choked up thinking about it now. Like that's, it was just so much fun. And, and, and Michelle Wright was on one of the gigs and she was just starting out. Like yeah. she had the long hair and stuff and it's yeah. like, Oh, who's this? And you know, and she got up there and sang. I was like, man, she's real good. And then years later, it's like, that's who was on the stage at the thing. You wonder, I actually just thinking now, I wonder if we ever crossed paths and I didn't even realize it. You know what? It, we had to have because we played out west so much. Absolutely. At Craven and all those places yeah. and yeah. and all the fairs and different things out there. Yeah. And um had to have at some yeah. point. There's no there's there. no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. But back then, you know, bands were playing six nights a week. 
Um, it's not as if you know, say, hey, what's your email address? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know, you'll, uh, you know, Google me on or yeah. search me on ran, Facebook, ran whatever, in, or whatever you want to say. Ran into some other band in Gull Lake, Saskatchewan, at an ESO on a Sunday where you're driving between gigs and you hang yeah. out for an hour and you know have lunch together, then you leave, and you know that stuff happened all the time. Yeah, I know. Being in the middle, actually, it was in Saskatchewan on the way up to Saskatoon. Um, just before we get there, there's that one A and W on the mm-hmm. in Davidson. Yeah, yeah. I remember I stopped in there to grab something, and I can't remember who I was on the road with. And I looked across the street, and there's a gas station. Mm-hmm. It's a tour bus there. I looked at it, go, that's my buddy Billy's bus, and he's from St. Catharines, and I used to play with him. And he's and uh, I was like, holy crap! So I just like drove over, that's <laughs> hilarious. walked around the corner. Hey, Billy! And he just yeah. he looked up and he was filling up. The bus. It was in just the like, middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's just like you just what are you doing here? It's just you just run, you know, it's it's a big country, small world. It's not that big. Know? Yeah. This industry, you know, this industry is big, but it's not as big as people think. No. And uh yeah, that's you know, this is this is what we have. You know, everybody is their own is we're our own support group and you know, that's yeah. that's what we have at the end of the day is to go, you know what? We and all gotta help each other and in your younger years, I think you really do I think you you meet more people then. Mm-hmm. I find absolutely. I've, you know, I met way more people when I was really young than I do now. Yeah, and maybe because you're just you do your thing now, and it's just I don't know what it is. But I think when you're younger, right. you were just more anxious, and you were doing more things, and you were here and there, and yeah, um, you just and you I just think met it, more people. I think as yeah, I think as you get older, you know, more of the sort of business side of the music thing is established so you're you, you you start finding people that you like working with and 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 then you just like work with these familiar people all the time and yeah. that's that's just in any business you know what i mean yeah. like i think in any business if you're an accountant you know over years of doing that you'll start working with some of the same clients and you know that's just a natural progression i think yeah i think but the yeah yeah the industry is is, is funny that way it's yeah. great so so from that band um what was the next journey? So there? from that band, um, the next the next thing that happened was uh, I thought, uh, and this was when I was nineteen. So I was in fast freight for about a year and a half, and I thought, you know what, I should get a gig on the road. And yeah, like tell your parents that. And like, Are yeah. you kidding me? But so there was this band that came through town, and I had seen them, and they were called Shawnee, Christelle, and Sweetwater, and she was from Manitoba. I didn't really know much about the band, but I knew who she was. I had met her one time when they played at the pump in Regina. So, uh, and this is actually kind of a funny story. So the next time they were through, I thought, you know what, if they ever need a drummer, maybe, you know, maybe I'll just kind of put my name in there. So this is how old school, this is how different things are than now. So I go down to the pump on the Monday night when they're playing with an envelope, with a resume, a cassette, an eight by 10 photo, all this stuff that I thought you had to do to get a gig, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, right. how do you not do that? What a fool, right? <laughs> so, so I give it to her and I'm like, if you ever need somebody, let me know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and two weeks later she called and the, the drummer, I don't. Must've been the eight by 10. It, you know, it, it had to have been. I think it was an eight by, it totally was an eight by 10 of someone else. It had to have been. Uh, but yeah, two weeks later, I think they were, they were on their way to a gig somewhere in Northern Alberta and the drummer had a nervous breakdown on this trip. Uh, that's not good. Hmm. And just bailed. He just packed it in and he actually like just left. He was, he was in his car and he just like turned around somewhere and just like had his drums in his car and left. Yeah. And she was like, uh, how quick can you get to Grand Prairie? <laughs> I was like, uh, 
when do you need me there? So I ended up going up there a couple of days later, flying up to Grand Prairie and, uh, and stayed in that band for about eight months, traveling all over like Western Canada. And I think the furthest east we went was, I think we went to Thunder Bay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there was one week in that eight months I was home and the rest of wow. it was doing six-nighters playing all over the place. And I was 19. I remember having my 20th birthday on the road. Wow. They, I can't believe my parents actually let me do that. Yeah. Well, they're probably glad to get you out of the house. That, you know what? That was probably it. That was totally so what happened. So quiet around here now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Stay out there a little longer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but it was fun. That was a good experience. It, would, it wasn't a good band. And, and I really learned that band taught me a lot about attitude and personalities because there were some personality clashes and the people in the band were older than me. And, uh, and, and I really saw some dysfunction go down, which yeah. I'd never seen before. Yeah. So I really had my eyes opened and you're stuck in a cube van with these people traveling yeah, 10 worst. hours on a Sunday, which <laughs> yeah, isn't fun. the best in yeah. hindsight. It's it neat, is the best. It's neat thinking of those days when you were playing six nights a week. Mm-hmm. Like you think about it now, it's like, oh gosh, I would never want to do that again. Yep. Right? Cause that's, that's a lot of playing. Oh, just yeah. like, thank God you don't have gigs like that anymore. But when you when you're playing six nights a week, yeah. wow, that's good practice. Absolutely, the I, bands I, got really tight. Uh, even even the bands that were average bands yeah. still sounded great because yeah. they were just playing together lots. Yeah, and you know that's the I mean? biggest my biggest pet peeve now is with Canadian shows. A lot of you know I'm I'm probably approaching this too more the Canadian country shows that nobody rehearses. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people do. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody. A majority of the groups, you know, either everyone's from a different part of the country or else no one gets together. Yeah. Um, and so you may just get to a gig and no one's, you haven't played in like three months or, right. or no one's rehearsed and we're doing a couple of new songs. Yeah. And you do your show and everyone's good, but it, it's okay. It's not great yeah but it gets the job done and then the next act on is an american act yeah. and they come and kick our asses yeah yeah, yeah. and because they they're playing like totally. all the time yeah and it shows yeah and i don't i can't get it through my mind why kenny artists artists don't rehearse more than they yeah. do yeah yeah it's, it, it's in this day and age i like guess a fill-in world so a lot of times yeah. you'll have gigs where you know you'll be just filling in with a band so you'll get together and you know at sound check you'll run beginnings and endings of tunes and stuff and that's all you have time for and you go okay well hopefully everybody's done their homework on everything else and stuff but yeah it's just kind of survival almost at points right yeah and, and it, it kind of feels like that it, it's not as if nobody ha- doesn't have the time no absolutely. it's not as if you know we're so busy that we're just you know you could be off the the week you know until you get to that gig yeah. and for me i look at it and sometimes it's a money thing right yeah. i know people are like well is there pay? You know, am I going to get paid? Yeah. And if there isn't money in it, my always thought is like, well, what else are you doing? Yeah. You know, if mm-hmm. you have another gig or you're working another job and it's going to take you away from that, great. Yeah. But if you're just sitting around, yeah. And the band's sitting around, yeah. Why don't you practice? Exactly. Do yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree totally. It's because it's, it's, it's good for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good for the players. It's good for the the bands. Good for the artists because when they go out and jump in a festival gig, yeah, they're going to sound way better yeah. than everybody else everything's everything becomes second nature yeah it becomes subconscious and it's really become the way yeah. you know obviously i haven't been 
gigging out in that world as much as I used to. Yeah. So I don't know if it's changed a whole lot. I don't think it has. Yeah. Um, not, not really. I know, I know yeah. like, I know with the gig, like with Aaron Prochette, I've been, I've been in the band for 10 years and the, and a lot of people in the band have been there for a while and we, everybody's in Vancouver and I'm in Regina. Yeah. So there's that separation and everybody's busy doing other things anyways, but we record every show and we listen to it diligently, painfully yeah. all the time and make notes and stuff. And you know, we're constantly emailing each other back and forth about, about parts. So it's sort of a pseudo rehearsal, but the band, you know, is getting tighter because it's on our mind and we're, we're, yeah. we're sharing dialogue. And you do get that. Totally. Yeah. 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 And, and when we, when we do have sound checks, we go into it with a plan of just going, we aren't just going to try to play one or two songs and get out. There's a plan to go, you know what, we got, we have to work on the chorus of that song. We got to yeah. work on the transition between those two things. So yeah, there's definitely ways you can, you can, you can do it. Right. But then playing again with someone all the time. Like I know, um, you know, back to the boot Hill thing, Shane Hendrickson and I, uh, have been playing together for 10 years now. Yeah. And that's, a I don't deal. even, yeah, I don't even notice him there anymore. It's just like, it's just like, my right hand you know it's yeah. like my it's you just start playing and it just happens and it's like well that's what you want is the whole show to be like that yeah right and then everything just to be like yeah it's just dialed in yeah that'd be amazing to to do that you know just to rehearse and rehearse and then like well you take last week uh when you're here with the guys doing the kenny show by the time you got to the eighth show after playing you know six days in a row yeah there, there was you were great the first day but man yeah that last day was yeah. Wow. It felt pretty comfy. And even, yeah. the, even, even then, you know, uh, the, I know the last show that the break, but before the second set, we were still tweaking things. There was still yeah. stuff going on. Hey, we should try this at this point and there should be this thing that goes on. And so it was never done, you know, getting polished up, but it definitely got a lot tighter every day. And I, and I think because everybody took good mental notes after that show to go, okay, next, next show we're going to, I'm going to do this or I could, yeah. I could do this better or that. And, and, but it's hard when you're, you're doing a gig and then your next gig not till you're next gone. weekend yeah. or maybe it's three weeks from now yeah. or one well, the worst is a one-off like yeah. the worst is you know learning you know a 90 minute set for an artist 30 songs um you know going in doing a festival thing where it's you know a line check and changeover is 15 minutes and it, yeah it just feels like you're a moving target at a gun range <laughs> and yeah. then you get done you go how well, did we do or it's were like we cramming okay for exam in high school it's exactly and, always, you yeah, and you don't know that. music shouldn't be like that, right? Yeah. And you feel like, well, you, you feel defeated because you don't know how it went. Yeah. It probably went fine. And, and you have one of the uh, most difficult spots because the song almost 90% of the time is going to start with you, right? Yeah. So when you're a guitar player or, I mean, the bass player is the same thing. Uh, you know, I even know with myself as the fiddle player, it's like, unless I was playing the intro, it's like I could wait till the you know first yeah. couple of bars of the song is like oh yeah this one exactly yes that's and I right. always I felt bad for the drummer because there's like they had to play no matter get what it, get it whether right, they right knew away. the song and you can look over I remember doing lots of gigs looking at the drummer you know they had no idea what the song was yeah but they know the tempo yeah and they know the beat they're gonna play yeah and it starts and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah this one yeah exactly and just that confidence and conviction that has to happen in that first like four seconds of the song yeah someone has to do it yeah right yeah it's it's, it's a tough job it, it's it is it's a funny thing you know drums man it's a fun it's a it, it's a really funny instrument because you look at it and yeah i know there's an amount of responsibility but i also know that you know melodically harmonically we don't have a lot of to contribute 
you, to a certain extent. But yeah, the tempo and the feel and, and rhythm and stuff. And But there's just a lot that goes on, even if you're playing the same thing over and over. It's like, yeah. you still have to play with confidence, but don't play too loud. Yeah. And don't get too excited because it's going to speed up. And yeah. don't not concentrate enough because it's going to slow down. Just keep it in that, you know, and it's, it, it, there's, it's a, that's a hard thing to learn. That's one of the hardest things to, 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 and, and you have to keep working on that. Like just constant, like, you know, now practicing, I work on, you know, some hand things and I work on some coordination things and there's things that I've accepted. I'll just never be able to play, but there's a lot of mental, the mental side of playing and the concentration that goes into like concentrating that deeply for four minutes to make a song feel right for all four minutes and yeah. make the sections do what they have to do. That, that's a really hard, a hard thing to get. I don't yeah. know if you ever actually get it. Like you just have to keep working on that and just get better and better. But you know, yeah, you get it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's it just you just you just get. I think as you get older, you just you notice things way more. Yes, right? yes, exactly, exactly. You become way more aware of yourself and what's going on around you and how to adapt. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I tell my students, they're they're always talking about practicing with the metronome and perfect time we have to have perfect time like this player and that player it's like you know what no one has perfect time a machine does but not a player does but what happens is they have such an acute sense of when things are starting to move that it appears that they never move because they can fix it before it actually like even happens yeah right and it's like that's what you're you're just looking for a really accurate time not perfect time because you know you're just setting yourself up for failure if you go i gotta have perfect time it's like yeah, yeah but because no one else feel in the right gonna have perfect time no you know what i mean it's the like the guitar player's not gonna have perfect time some of the some of the grooviest records that that you know you, you know make you shake your ass around and dance aren't in perfect time yeah but the feel is wicked and it's like well and that's the main aim thing for that absolutely good, yeah yeah uh so let's let's get back again so you uh you went on the road for went on the road months and uh and went then uh what happened you went, got back I, home and i went <laughs> i went on the road and uh my last gig with that band i had to leave the road the the band was driving me crazy and stuff so the very last gig i did with the band was two weeks in high level alberta mm -hmm. and that's very far north yeah. <laughs> and the bugs are about as big as my head uh and it was geez i'm trying to think it might have been august it was so hot so that gig was done flew back home and uh, registered uh, for school for electronics. Okay. I was like, you know what? I'll still play music, but I should probably do something else. So yeah. I registered at a college for electronics and did that, uh, graduated that, but had, had put myself through school teaching and teaching drums and playing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then in my 20s, uh, I had, I had, gotten engaged just after I had got back from the road mm -hmm. um, and got married uh, when I was 22. And my first son was born when I was just about 24. Yeah. So, you know, so in the twenties, you know, I'm not playing as much because there's yeah. family stuff and I have a day job now, um, but still playing, still involved in music, but it had scaled back quite a bit. Yeah quite a bit in, in my 20s so how'd you feel about that at the time i was fine with that yeah i was totally fine because i was still playing music in situations with friends um and doing you know playing in some some good bands played in a uh played in a rock band uh, the, the band's name was go-kart mozart and we did a uh, one i was on one cd and co-produced it and wrote a bunch of the songs and stuff and it was it was great and we'd do opening spots for sass jordan and a bunch of bands that would come through town and then i was still playing in some country bands in town but 
I was, I was always learning. I was always, you know, that didn't stop me from like, you know, buying every modern drummer and, and, yeah. and working on stuff and practicing and, you know, but there was no, at that point, there was no aspirations of it being a career that had kind of like went to the back of my head at that point. So when did that change? That changed when I was 30 and um, I don't remember exactly what it was. I started playing a little bit more in my late 20s. I remember that in my late 20s, I started doing gigs with um, a band called the Johnner Brothers yep. out of Saskatchewan and Brad Johnner and, uh, and stuff. And, and not doing a bunch of work, but just filling in for the guys in the band when I could. And, uh, and my wife and I always wanted one of us to be able to stay home with our kids. That was sort of like a goal. And, and she made more money than I did at my job. And so we just decided, hey, I'll, I'll stay home. Yeah, I'll stay home. So I uh, quit my job at, well, New Year's Eve 2000, uh, going into the going into the um, the the Y two K mayhem that was supposed to happen. I remember playing Medicine Hat Alberta, New Year's Eve, going into the year 2000, and I was done my job at that point. And the next, you know, the next year, well, I was just going to stay home with the kids, yeah, and maybe play a bit more, maybe whatever. And what ended up happening is, and just a, not out of choice, but it was just kind of a fluke, I guess, is some people started not hearing, but realizing I wasn't working and I was able to play a bit more. Oh, yeah. And the phone started ringing, yeah. which was fine. But it started ringing like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it wasn't received well on the other side so much because that wasn't the plan was to do that yeah uh but i i remember i was away on a gig i think i was in calgary i was away on a gig and i remember i went for a walk one day and and i and i remember just thinking you know what i'm not going to be 50 years old and live in the what ifs i have to try this like i have to try doing this because i think i can do it but if i don't try I'll really regret it. Uh, absolutely. You know, and that, that was the, my exact words were, I'm not going to be 50 and live in the what ifs. Yeah. So I, I remember, um, yeah, that was a tough year. That was a tough year. So my wife and I split up yeah. and, uh, and, and you know, our kids were seven and three, so yeah. that's not easy. Yeah. And, uh, and I was getting busier playing yeah. and that was a huge transition of things. Just kind of go, well, how, now, how do you, how do you do this? Like, I don't now It's, now there's a whole other set of rules that comes into play. Yeah. But um, yeah, just, you know, obviously I had family around in town and stuff and, uh, and, and it worked like it just kind of worked out. And then in 2002, uh, Ray Bell and myself, and there was another, there was actually a, a fiddle, a fiddler from Vancouver. Her name was Shanna Sabir. She had moved out to Regina and the three of us started renting rooms in this house to start teaching sort of under the collective name music in the house. And that's when that sort of started. And then it just kind of, kind of went from there. That's great. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was a big transition, but I learned a lot. Like I, yeah. I, I think in that two years, I learned a lot about the music industry. I learned a lot about stuff, but I think I learned a lot about me, like a huge amount about myself, which I think was super important that I still like remember now. And it's, I think that's helped me more than anything really. Yeah. You know, and my, and my, and my, my first wife and I, we, we get along great and we were, you know, our relationship's still strong and it always has been and our priority was always the kids and, yeah. you know, taking the kids to hockey and everything that went on. Uh, but it worked out. It just That's kind good. of, 
you know, worked out. And, and, you know, and I did, I did work at it, like to build up the teaching thing and all that. It, it, it took a bit of time. Oh yeah, for sure. It does. But it yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. So what was your, what would you say it was your first big gig after that? Um, well, I had played back in the early nineties, just to go back a little bit. Um, when I was in school, I had started doing some gigs with Lisa Brokaw and yep. she had just got started. She had just done her first record, her first cassette uh, out of Vancouver and the piano player that was playing with her, Marty Antonini was also playing with the Tyson, and he's mm-hmm. from Regina yeah. and he ended up, there was some gigs in Saskatoon and Edmonton and BC and stuff and he needed a bass player and a drummer. So he hired the bass player from uh, Fast Freight, Larry yeah. McCormick was his name and Larry in turn gave him my name to do this gig. Yeah. Which, which years later, the fast freight thing, when I was 17, 18 and joined that band, I realized years later, I didn't get the gig based on my playing. It was based on my attitude. Oh yeah. And they actually like told me this. Yeah. And they just had said, you know, the drummer that was in the band wasn't working out, had nothing to do with playing. Yeah. And I still didn't quite get it. I was like, okay, sure. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah. So that, that, so that, so I did six months with Lisa and then she moved to the States and there was a chance at that point to to move to Nashville. Uh, Paul, her manager, had mentioned, you should come down there, you know, whatever. But my wife was was pregnant with our first child and I had just got married and, you know, th- th- there yeah, was... wasn't in the cards. No, yeah. I wasn't prepared to leave. I was interested in it, yeah. of course. But it didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't really shake down that way. Yeah. So, so that was sort of like the first, I guess that's the first artist gig I did was back, I was, how old was I at that point? 20, 21. And we did that that stint with Lisa, which was great. Yeah. It was awesome. She was so much fun to work yeah, with and she's stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. And the Moff would do gigs and the Moffats would, would open for us. And oh, yeah. Jordan Cook. And yeah, oh, yeah. As I remember. They were just little kids. And yeah, yeah. They were so cute. So it came back around. <laughs> do you work with Lisa again? Yeah. It's yeah. actually in 2004. This is all so funny how this happens. 2004, a friend of mine, Jay Bittner, uh, who I had worked with, with Brad Johnner. Do you know Jay at all? I know a of guitar him, player yeah. from Vancouver he plays yeah. with George Canyon now yeah. uh, Jay's from Nippewin, Saskatchewan I had done some gigs with Jay uh, with Brad Johnner and a couple other things in Saskatchewan he had played with Patricia Conroy back then and, yeah. and then moved to Vancouver um, Lisa was coming through it was May 14th 2004 I remember it was Casino Regina I had been back living at my parents place and uh, Jay had got a hold of me and Craig Bignall had been playing with Lisa yeah. at that point and Craig couldn't make this show yeah. Something came up and, and stuff. And I think it was a transition. I think Craig was going to be playing with someone else. That might've been when he was with John Cowan. There was something going on. Yeah. He was so, but, but Craig couldn't make the show in Regina anyway. So Jay had mentioned to Tom McKillop, uh, that there was a guy in Regina that could do the gig. And, and Lisa's gig before that, uh, was kind of a heavy gig on the drummer's side because Mike Kennedy had the gig for a long time. Oh, yeah. And Mike Kennedy is George Strait's guy. Yeah. And Mike and Lisa had went out when he was in the band and I had heard the band when Mike was playing and yeah, he, that's out of hand. He's so good. Yeah. He's so really good. good. Oh yeah. So Jay mentions to Tom about this. So they hire me for this gig. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in and really, and I always hope I have a good work ethic when I, when I play and I always come in and I try to be as prepared as I can and try to, you know, make the band feel as comfortable as they can. So I had learned the stuff, showed up for sound check and the band was, who was all playing in that band? Tom was playing guitar. Jay was playing guitar. Steve O'Connor was playing keys and Dennis Marsenko was playing bass. It was a real good band. And it's a one-off show at the casino. So we go to sound check in the afternoon. 
and soundcheck gets cut short because something went on technically at the casino and then Lisa had a radio thing. So we were able to play through like one and a half songs at Soundcheck. Oh yeah. So then we go back to the hotel room and we're going to like talk through stuff. Yeah. So you talk about rehearsing. This is like, yeah, yeah. this is like not even playing. Right. Yeah. So we go back to the room and we talk through stuff and it goes fine. We played the show and at the end of the show, uh, Dennis came over. First of all, Jay came over because Tom had, told him he did this is what i'm told i don't know but uh tom had said to jay i don't know this guy but he better be all right yeah don't don't let us down and jay like jay vouched for me huge it'll be fine it'll totally be fine so after the show was done jay came over and thanked me for putting the time in on on the gig and stuff very much dennis came over the bass player and just said great job man it didn't even seem like anybody was filling in you know no one had to look around and babysit anybody everybody was able to do the show tom came over and said great show uh you'll be hearing from me a bunch good and i was like okay and then lisa you know she and and then they and then they left that was it yeah and it was probably three weeks later maybe three weeks later uh, tom had got a hold of me and had given me some more Lisa dates. And there was stuff like in New York and I can't remember else, Ontario. And there was, there was a few things around. Yeah. But obviously I had done an okay job. And so I went and uh, did Lisa's gig. And that, that was probably maybe a year that we were doing shows. And she wasn't doing a bunch of shows. She was songwriting in Nashville and, and, and doing stuff down there. But uh, she'd come up and do, do shows. And it was, it was awesome. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I look at that and I go, well, then that led to, you know, Tom hiring me for the one more girl gig, which is his daughter's, yeah. uh, all the CCMA show stuff that he hired me for the, the, the house band thing back in, um, St. John of Brunswick and, and all, all these little things that just led to it. And it all came back to like, just going in and going, you know what? And, and, you know, you don't go into a gig going, I'm going to nail this and get a whole bunch of other work. It's like, no, man, it's just going to be a good day of work and the team's going to sound good and the audience is going to have a great time. And that's all I have to do is get us from point A to B safely. Yeah. But it does show you how important sometimes you think a one-off gig is just a one-off. Absolutely. And you can't count any gig as a one-off. You got to, cause you just never know who's there. Um, even if it's a, it could be anywhere, especially if it's a festival game yeah. and there's other players around. Yeah. Cause you can't walk around to everybody and say, Hey, Oh, by the way, yeah. I've never played with this group before. I just got the tunes and, yeah. and, uh, you can't do it. You got to come. Absolutely. That's prepared job, and it right? really shows. Yeah. I think the, I did one gig with, I don't know how I got hired for this during CCMA. And it was a, uh, an act that Tom had, uh, produced Tom Kilp had produced. And, I was out there and I got it through somebody or something. And so we show up, uh, and this guy had, I wish I could remember what his name was. I don't think he went much further than, mm-hmm. than that week. Um, he had a regular band. Yeah. New album. Uh, I learned my parts when we played the show. Um, and, uh, afterwards Tom came up and said, uh yeah fantastic job you're the only guy that knew actually any of these songs and the whole band didn't know the project but the guy who came in to add fiddle yeah there was fiddle on all of them knew it way better than the band yeah and right there it's the same thing you could i could have just thrown that away um but you just never know what 
those single little opportunities can lead you to. Absolutely. And it's so important. Um, I yeah. mean, sometimes you get thrown into stuff when you've got like, there's a million gigs, right? Yeah. And you just, you're just learning songs, learning songs, learning songs, and you're just getting yourself through it. Like yeah. CCMA week or whatever. Um, but I think it's, you have to be diligent too, as a player, if you're heading into CCMA week or something like that, yeah. not to take too much. Right. Absolutely. You got to know when to say, you know what? Uh, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fool them. Yeah, exactly. To quote Kenny. Yeah. Because you can take too much and then yeah. you get in a situation where you're, you're not playing to your best. You're just getting through a yeah. gig. Well, you're doing the music a disservice, which our only job is to do the music the best service we can. Yeah. And, and yeah. that happens. But then you just never know who pops in to see the show. Yeah. And all of a sudden, then you're going to get judged by that person. Yeah. By that one performance. Well, first impressions, right? First yeah. impressions are huge and it doesn't matter what it is. And the other thing that, that I really learned from that situation from Tom and Jay and, and all those guys, but it, it was the first time I was in a band where I would play a show and, you know, we're playing the show, I'm playing the parts, you know, you do it and you don't realize how aware everybody else is of what's going on. And you get done the show and the guitar player will say, yeah, so in, um, in this song, uh, there's no kick drum on the end of four every second measure in the verse two. And then there's no hi-hat accent on the end of four in the first chorus and stuff. And you're going, yeah, what are you like? Are, are you just producing the record while we're playing this? And I was like, man, did I actually do that? And then it really makes you zone in and go, oh, I really have to get inside this song and just play because it's recorded for a reason. I should play it like that for a reason. Yeah. And, but also the other thing that could be with that too, is that maybe it's another guy that usually does the gig mm -hmm. and that's the way he totally. does it. Absolutely. And that's how they're used to hearing it because yep. that's the way the old drummer does. Yep. You could come in and actually do it the right way. Yeah. And get told that no, that's not the way to do that it. Happened. That's yeah, the, I've had that happen on too. Lisa's like, gig. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, you know, Jerry Adolph had been doing the gig, and he played things a certain way. And Jerry's amazing, an amazing, amazing player. And I just played the record. Yeah, and they were like, "Well, no, but we're used to this sitting like this and being like that." I'm like, "Yeah, man," because you have to be flexible, right? Like that's the other thing with the drum, the drummer. You know, you could get blamed for a whole bunch of stuff, and you just have to be flexible and go along with stuff because. If the artist or the other players want it a certain way, then you have to deliver that. Yeah. And you can't dig your heels in and go, well, no, because it's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's no. not about, it's not really about, you know, the people on stage other than the singer. It's about the crowd and it's about going, are we giving them what they want? Yeah. Are we making them comfortable and will they leave here and they had a good time? And I think um, the cool thing is in that situation, as long as it grooved. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right? I think that's the thing is that if you can bring something and not play it exactly, but it may be grooved like it's never grooved before, yeah. then it's so much more than that can be forgiving. Then you're onto something. Yeah. That's what, that's what Bignall, Craig Bignall is really good at. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's got this, all this other stuff that goes on yeah. with his ghosting and he yeah. listens. Uh, I know he was playing with us for quite a while and in every show, it'd be like he, he's listening to, what everyone else is playing mm -hmm. and he knows in this one section, I might do this little fiddle thing and he'll do something on the drums to compliment yep. what I'm doing. Cause yep. he's heard it a couple of times. Now he's incorporates that into his drum part. Yep. I'm thinking, wow, how clever is that? How many, yep. you know, how many guys Absolutely. do that? Um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, 
and I, you know, I know last week with you, it's just that the groove is something I know yeah. you really, really concentrate it's, on. Yeah, it's, it's well, it, it is. And, and like you say, the other thing, like the musicality thing on that is huge. I just, uh, I just finished editing it today. It's a two-part article for a Canadian musician coming up later this year. And it's about being a musical drummer. And I actually talk about those things, just getting inside the song. And then I actually yeah. break down the whole drum part for Fire and Rain by, by uh, James Taylor. Oh, Russ yeah. Kunkel was a drummer. And it's an amazing, like the drums, he's just playing Fire and Rain through the whole thing with brushes. It's amazing, the part. So I actually broke it down. And I, I think, and, and same thing with Craig, cause, but I think if a drummer sings you're just a little more intuitive about the tempo because the feel and the spacing of the the vocal thing. And if you play other instruments, I think you're more sympathetic to what the drums are going to give yeah. the bass player or the guitar player. You understand that, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's, I think that's really important for all drummers to play other stuff. I just think it's almost necessary. It's like pl learn to play some piano, learn to play some guitar, sing a bit, you know, because you just become a little bit more aware of what you're giving everybody else. And, you know, when I'm playing, like in those situations, like we talked about showing up and it's a quick changeover and everybody's just kind of learning the songs. When I'm playing, I'm concentrating on obviously the part I'm playing and how it's feeling, but I'm really watching the stage and making sure the body language and everybody looks comfortable because my worst fear would be like the bass player's shoulders are up and then the guitar player's all scrunched up and he's not comfortable. And it's like, yeah. man, this is not, going to be good for anybody yeah you know and i and and not only myself but there's just the power in the drums to kind of relax everybody and go we're good yeah it's going to be fine we're all right i'm going to direct traffic here and i'm going to get you guys safely to point a to b we're going to be fine and and i think that's yeah that's to me anyways that that seems to make sense to me because all the players i listen to and were influenced by seem to have that thing where the arrangement was the biggest thing they were aware of yeah yeah i think you know there's almost as if there's two styles of drumming, right? Mm -hmm. There was the guys um, who just kind of just lay it down. It was funny. I was at the NAMM show years ago and I went to a Yamaha drum event. Yep. And they had all these drummers, you know, Anton Fig came out and played. So they had like four kits set yep. up. Great band. And just every song, a different drummer would come out. Yeah. And it was fascinating. Yeah. Like absolutely fascinating how different yeah it all sounded you know a lot of guys went to the same kit yeah. every single time that kit was played it sounded completely different you know same everything yeah. was mic the same nothing was moved it's just like okay now this sounds it's like same thing with the guitar player or anything it's the instrument the it's in the hands right yeah. and then they had this new guy and i wish i could i knew who it was they had some this new young uh drummer that everyone was excited about yeah and he came in and uh he sat down and he played and the basically the room almost went silent. Yeah. And it was like, Oh my God. It was like, it was a different level. And it, and all those guys that were there, they made them look like they were high school students. Yeah. Really. It was like, and Anton came out, which is a great drummer. And he, he just didn't sound that great. Yeah. You know, and, uh, compared to this guy. Yeah. And it was just like, and he just finished and he just walked off and that was it. It's like everyone, you could just tell everyone in the whole place like, who's that? Yeah. Who's that? <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> and it was just like, hold, and every, every drummer that came out was trying, you know, the hardest to be better than the other drummer. So they're always, sure. they're all adding in these little, you know, yeah. little extra drum, fancy drum fills and these all extra parts. Oh, and yeah. this guy came out and was like, 
That was you know, it. just oh, yeah. and it just laid it down, maybe yeah. hit a crash on top of the course. Yeah. And that was about it. And it just made everyone stop in their tracks. It's the best. It was so great. So I thought, yeah, you get those type of drummers, right? Yeah. Who are just, you know, just meat and potatoes. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you get, I think, drummers more like you and Big Noel and those type of guys who really take the song and make their drums a part of the song. Right. right. Which I, for me, I... I really like. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, and, and yeah, that means a lot that you said that mm -hmm. because I, I, uh, years ago, there's a drummer. Uh, he's from Kentucky, lives in Nashville now. His name is um, Chad Cromwell. And Chad played, uh, well, I think he still plays with Joe Walsh on his solo shows and uh, played with like Ed Neil Young, everybody played on the Lady A Records, studio yeah. guy in Nashville. And uh, he was a modern drummer. Jeez, I can't even remember. It must, yeah, it, it was quite a while ago and I actually just wrote it today in the article but uh he said his quote was i don't play drums on songs i play songs on the drums yeah and that just resonated with me i was like that's a good yeah quote. man you know like because there's so many things that you can do you know because you know the drums sort of have the bottom end of stuff and the top end of stuff and the top end of stuff i find players that that hi-hat symboly things can complement a lot of music stuff yeah. And there was a lot of that, like in the Kenny Rogers tunes. There's a lot of that in that. Uh, there's, you know, modern country stuff, which a lot of a lot of people are sort of down on. But some of the drum parts are phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, man. The stuff that Nerzy's playing on the, the, you know, the Blake Shelton records and stuff, the parts are wicked. Yeah. But there's detail. Like, it's all like painting, right? It's like, yeah. I tell my students, if you were a painter, would you want to paint with four colors or would you want to paint with 20 colors? Yeah. Well, 20. Well, you have to kind of approach music that way on any instrument and go, well, how could I? Because it's all going to add up, right? And and I just think that's what experience teaches you is that's a whole other set of like technical chops. And that's the kind of, you know, the chops that I'd, I'd rather work on is just, you know, listening to like one of, one of my favorite records to listen to is Continuum by John Mayer. Oh, yeah. Steve Jordan, yeah. you know, Bruce and played it. And there's songs on there where I, th I think there's, one song, and I can't remember which song it is, he hits the crash symbol two times, but man, when he hits it, it's an event. Yeah. Because you're waiting, and he's got you on the edge of every four bars or eight bars just going, <sighs> and then he doesn't give it to you. And yeah. you go, <sighs> and the, you know, and then all of a sudden it's there, and it's like, <gasps> and it's like, oh, it's, it's, that stuff just blows my mind. I find the one thing I think with a lot of drummers that don't concentrate enough on, and for me, when I watch a drummer, I can tell if I really like them or not, is their hi-hat. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would 100% credit Jeff Picaro on that. Like for me, I was, I was very fortunate to get into him early because I think his right hand was, it was the best. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if there'd be a drummer out there that would disagree with me that Picaro's right hand was like butter. Yeah. For me, I hate when, you know, someone gets to the course and all it is just like an open yeah. splashy yeah. hi-hat. Yeah. And I mean, there's a time for that. Yeah. But you know, some shows you go see drummers like every chorus you're going, ksh, ksh, yeah. ksh, you know yeah. constantly the same thing every single time totally and it's just like oh no yeah because that just ends up giving you nothing absolutely and but it yeah. just becomes stiff right like it just and then there's so many like symbols you know as as doing sound symbols are your worst nightmare yeah man it could be it could be the worst so as a player i think that's one thing drummers need to concentrate on like i think everybody i tell my students anyways everybody practices too loud everybody should like pull their volume in half when they're practicing because yeah. that takes way more control to do that. And then you start exploring those other levels because, you know, when you're playing, 
your your loud dynamics, you can only go so loud, but there's all this area at the bottom that no one really touches on that's beautiful. Yeah, because it's really hard. Well, a lot of drummers, um, there's a big difference between the low stuff and the high stuff. Yeah. So when you're giving a big kick, a big snare, but you're ghosting yeah. a lot on, on the snare, if those levels don't come close to one another to some degree, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a guy that sits out front lots of times and does audio and does sound, you don't hear it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I was uh, the old drummer with, uh, used to play with, with Jim Witter in the Piano Man show. Great drummer, great guy. Um, we just get in a lot of venues and the drums are too loud. Mm-hmm. You know, we're playing for older crowds, 800 seat theater. We had to find a way uh, to get the volume down. So I was trying to convince them all the time, let's play with different sticks. Yeah. You know, let's play with plastics yeah. or let's play um, or something, you know, that you can still play hard, but it's not as of loud. Of course, yeah. And he was like, yeah, but I can't do all the, the you know, basically the fancy symbol work and stuff yeah. and all that. And it's yeah. like, nobody hears it. Yeah, right. I can't, I, I haven't, you know, I wouldn't know that you're doing it because it's not coming through. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, yeah. so you get all this little stuff. Yeah. It's like when you're at the kit, you hear it. Totally. It's a different world. But when you're play. playing Billy Joel or Elton John, everyone's mm. giving her yeah. a little slight little symbol thing does yeah. not get hurt. Yeah. So, you know, you have to find that balance to get, and get that stuff yeah. in, in a level that it's not, you know, at 20% and the other stuff is at 90%. Right. It's got to find a balance that you're getting a little difference in volume, yeah. But yet you can still hear it. And I, I noticed that last week with you, with you know the little snare stuff you do in hi hat stuff, but mostly it's snare. There'd be nice little ghosty stuff going on, and I heard it all. Right. Yeah. Right? It was. It was like, oh, it's all there. Yeah. And well, that was that Danette snare. Let's just be honest. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a great snare. <laughs> no, that's uh, the, yeah. The dynamics. That's such a big thing. And I and I was again lucky enough in my life. I've been lucky enough that I've played most of the time in bands with older players. And my theory on that isn't to be the younger guy to say I'm the youngest guy. It's because if you're playing with older guys, you're always going to learn something. Yeah. You're always going to learn something. And when I was 18, 19, around that time, playing in fast freight in those bands you know, playing with some bands and playing weddings and you'd have to play quiet. Yeah. And then you'd have to play quieter and then you'd have to play quieter and then you'd just have to find a way to make it work. Right. Not, you know, and, and I've saw, I've seen a lot of drummers sort of, again, dig their heels in and go, I can't do that. That's not what I do. I was always flexible to go. Yeah, man, whatever you need. I'll, I'll pull out some brushes. I'll take one. I'll play with one brush. I've played with my hands before on gigs and people are like, that's fine. I'm like, great. It's not about me. So if that's fine for you, Hey, that's excellent because you're going to give us the check at the end of the night and I'm not going to disrupt the whole event. Yeah, some guys get very angry about that. Yeah. And no, this is the way I play. Yeah. And take it or leave it. Yeah. And it's like, eh, okay. Yeah, that's it's it, it doesn't always work. You mean you want to. Yeah. But the problem, like you said, some guys, I think for drummers, I think you have to practice playing quiet just as much as you have to do Absolutely playing. Because if you can do it, quietly mm-hmm. you can do it out absolutely and and the, the physicality of playing is you know just the, the human body moves in a certain way and you know anybody like you could give a stick to a three-year-old and say 
go hit that drum. And how's he going to hit it? Well, he's going to beat the crap out of it. Yeah. Right. So you have to practice that control for, for that. And, and some of the most beautiful stuff you'll ever play is stuff that's played in control. And honestly, the drums are loud. So you don't even need to hit them that hard to get the sound out of them. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I don't, I don't even like calling it hitting because hitting is like a bunch of big motion. You know, I, I'm, all about economy and motion and not moving a whole lot and everything comes from the wrist and the, and the fingers and stuff and just really bringing that sound down and being flexible with it. Cause I know what, like in Aaron's band, we can play loud. It can be a really loud band, but at no moment, you know, I don't have my hands waving above my head, breaking things. Like I, yeah. I can't remember the last time I broke something on a drum set. Like, yeah. It's like even sticks, they just wear out. They don't break. Yeah. Right. But last week I had never played in the theater before, but I knew it was quiet we were using acoustic drums and I know when I showed up, uh, the blastics were on the floor and I had brought a bunch of other sources as well that I yep. use that, you know, just to make sure that everything's going to be fine. But I thought, you know what? I'll bring out the sticks, control it like I control it and just gauge it from there to see what you say. Cause you know, the room better than anybody. Yeah. So right away, we're going to know if it's going to be too loud and yeah, it seemed to work all week. It was perfect. Yeah. You know, and I was asking you every day, is the volume okay and stuff? Cause I'm very concerned about that with the crowd and I'm watching the crowd and I'm like going, man, this, cause a lot of times when people walk in and they see drums on the stage, they're already saying the band's too loud. Yeah. No one's playing. You know what I mean? And if it's funny how many people say drums are loud, right? And it's so many people are like, yeah, the drums are just so loud. And we look at them and they're sitting right there and go, I'm going, they're not loud at all. No, they're so they're silent right now. It's not about the drums. It's who's behind them. And, you know, do they make them, do they make them loud? Yeah. Or do they make them okay? Tolerable, I guess. I don't know. I know another of my, I'm not giving you all my drummer pet peeves because I love drummers. No, no, <laughs> no. It's a, it's a thing, man. It's, it's a thing. It's, Let's all look at all the drummer jokes. Come on. One of the biggest pet peeves I have if I'm doing sound and, and you're doing a drum sound check and it's like, all right, give me the kick. And they give me the kick at full tilt. Oh, oh yeah. And then the snare is like, whack you know yeah. tom bam and yeah. then it's like i'll go through it yeah then i'll be like all right do you actually play it at that volume yes do yes. you hit the snare that hard yeah. do you hit the kick that hard throughout the whole show yeah no so if i'm sound checking something why are you give me something that you're never going to play it at that exactly. volume or the other way like it's too quiet i see guys all the time where they'll play yeah. super quiet at sound checks and then yeah. the band will start playing it's like well, that that had nothing to do with anything because now it's completely different. different. Yeah, I can't imagine how frustrating that is. And yeah, drummers is. have to think about that. Like mm -hmm. I learned that years ago in my early twenties, being in the studio and just learning about you know, like you said before, when you're sitting behind the drums and you're playing, you could walk three feet in front and they sound completely different. Yeah. Well, I'm aware of how they sound there, and I'm aware, you know, sort of what they're, and I'm learning more, but I'm aware of sort of what the pressure is going to a microphone, so I know how I have to tune them to kind of get that sounding good. Yeah. You know, cause you could sit behind the kit and play it and go, man, this sounds terrible. I'm like, I don't care how it sounds here. It, it sounds real good yeah. out there. Yeah. You know, and that's, and yeah, the studio teaches you that recording yourself teaches you that. Like, yeah. man, one of the most valuable things people have is their phone and record yourself on your voice notes. Cause yeah. it sounds terrible and try to make that sound. Okay. Yeah. You know, cause yeah, you're, yeah. Those loud hi hats will sound like super loud. It's funny going back to hi hats. I went to see uh, a show on Sunday and uh, Kenny Pulse was playing, and it's a kind of 50s, 60s uh, show at the casino in Niagara. Great show, um, but there was no hi-hat yeah. the whole show. Yeah. Like there was literally next to, I heard it whenever, the only time I heard it, and he was behind a shell too. Yeah. 
So the only time I heard it is he opened it up and right. really heard it, and I could yeah. hear it from stage, yeah, not in the PA, yeah. And that music, if you needed anything, yeah, you needed a hi hat, yeah, yeah. That, well, the hi hats were pretty prevalent in, in that part of that music yeah. for sure. They were absolutely so that old old standard stuff, and all you hear is boom, pop, boom, pop, boom, yeah. boom. You know, yeah. and it was just like you could see it playing. Oh, yeah. I couldn't yeah. hear it, and it's like okay, that's that's another. One of my kind of front of house. Oh yeah, pet man! It's like you got to get that hi hat in yeah. there because there's so much stuff that goes on. Yeah. With that well, go hi-hat. go listen to old Motown records. Like today, earlier today, I was listening to um, I think it's called United. It's the the uh, Marvin Gaye Tammy Terrell record. I think from '68, and uh, I believe it was Benny Benjamin. Well, it was probably all the drummers that from Motown, the three guys that played on it. But man, you listen to the hi hats and the rhythm guitar and the tambourine on that. And it's like, man, they are locked in. Yeah. There is, you know, and there's no click. There's nothing. That's just guys playing. It's like, it doesn't get any tighter than that. Yeah, it's almost one of those things where if you had a choice, say you had a kick, snare, and a hat, and you had two microphones. Yeah. And you only had two channels. Yeah. And you're only allowed to mic two things. Yeah. And every scenario I'll look at, the hi-hat would be one of them. Yeah. Well, the snare is going to come through the hi-hat mic, yeah. probably enough. Or probably it's going to be kicking. Or It's probably and, going to be kicking. <laughs> and as a drummer, you know, if I walked in and that was the situation and it was like, okay, well, here's what we have. And then I look at the mic placement and it's like, okay, kick drum. And then they have the mic, you know, sort of over the hi-hats. I would, I would know, okay, well, I'll, I'll kind of balance the snare and hi-hats. So that does sound like those two sources should work out of that one thing. Because that's up to the yeah. drummer, right? Like a lot of drummers don't, aren't even aware of what these mics are doing like overheads right and kind yeah. of you know i always look at where the overheads are placed where the sound guy wants them and go okay well that's what he wants my symbols to sound like or he you know because it's a team thing at that point yeah and if i don't work with the sound guy man it's a it's a bad day it's a bad day and I, and you know the sound guys one thing i could say for drummers for well for every player but man especially for drummers every gig you do go thank the monitor guys and the sound guys like yeah. they like they work for us. Like it's, it's not the easiest thing mixing drums. And, and again, earlier on, I learned a very valuable lesson. We were doing a gig. Some, Oh man, I can't remember what it was. I was in my early twenties. just stupid. And there was a sound guy and he was moving something around on the floor. And I hit my snare drum while his head was down by the high yeah. ass. He jumped up and he grabbed the, the stand with the crash symbol and threw it across the stage. He flipped out on me. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, note to self. Don't ever do that. Yeah. So now, I have to be prodded to play on stage. I won't even like play. I'll just I'll just sit there and someone will have to tell me when to go because <laughs> I was scared many years ago. But it's respect, right? Like, yeah, I, I get that lots of times when I've I've gone and you're making a kit or moving, you know, a kit, oh. and the drummer still stares here and plays full on tilt yeah. with cymbals and everything when yeah. you got your head in there. It's just like, really, yeah. do you have to be playing yeah. and, and right now? Or I hate to break it to the drummers, but no one really wants to hear the drums people want to hear the drums in context with the song they don't want to hear you practicing at a sound check yeah <laughs> i'm sorry to break it to you but you know it's like man let's get stuff going and then we'll put it all together because it has to sound good as a system well, one of the big hardest things is doing a sound check uh and you're checking other instruments and the drummer won't stop playing yeah. so yeah. you want to hear what the guitar sounds like you want to hear the vocal sounds like and stuff and you got the drummer still just kind of you know even tuning yeah it's like okay as long as there's time, let's do that after. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's wait till yeah. um, everyone's cleared. And yeah, I mean, that's, it's kind of like, I, that's a general rule for anybody. Totally. And, and some of that's check, common sense. Yeah. Right? Like that's just wait till your turn. And it's so difficult uh, yeah. to be sound checking 
single instruments and checking lines and and everyone else is just wailing yeah that's um, like just talking over top of each other in a conversation right? yeah it's like it's like the worst yeah 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 it's it that it, it is a fun it's a funny thing how many little things go in to make that a better experience and speed up the process yeah because in the long run it, it does it does speed it up yeah totally I, it does yeah everyone thinks that they're you know they play all at once it's going to make things go by faster and it just yeah. takes twice as long yeah ab- absolutely yeah and and yeah, it's drums, man. They sound better when the all the music's playing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's that's part of part of the whole package, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to mention you mentioned uh, overheads before, and I was just looking because we're in my studio here, and and which is great, by the way. I love oh, it. Thanks. It's a mess right now, but uh, the overheads for me as a studio engineer, and I'm sure anyone who's a studio engineer is listening. I get most of my sound from the drum kit from those overheads. Yeah. Yep. And you know, the kick drum mic, the snare drum mic, the hi hat microphone supplements. Yeah. The overheads. Totally. And I mean it's different live because you yep. can't you can't get that same thing. You try to kind of I like getting my overhead mics in pretty tight live. Yeah. Cuz I find if they get up way too high, you're just picking up everything yeah everything on the stage too much air yeah yeah so get them a little tighter get them i I mean a lot of guys now i see they're putting them underneath uh Mm -hmm. the symbols um so they're just getting that splash especially for a ride you know that's the hard thing live sometimes is getting that the ride symbol yeah to cut through yeah um some some guys just don't have the right symbol or they don't play it hard or they it just doesn't come through right exactly um but yeah studio wise uh having a really good tuned kit yeah. and sounding good is so important because yeah. those overheads. Yeah. They can, they can do everything. They can be the workhorse. Yeah. That's, like all the Zeppelin records, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think there'd be anybody that would argue that, you know, this, the drum sound on Zeppelin records was fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, it was essentially most of those records, it was essentially three microphones. It was a kick microphone in front of the kick drum and then two overheads that were just placed, one was over the floor tom and one was kind of over the middle of the kit and that was sort of it. And then once in a while they put a snare mic in but they sounded great, but Bonham knew how to play yeah. and get the sound there. But you have to be respectful of just, you know, what, what your, where their overheads are, you know, and just kind of understanding, just understanding the sonics of like what an acoustic instrument is gonna throw into a microphone and is that gonna be good or bad? Yeah. You know? I've never had a problem getting a drum kit to sound good single micing every element of right. it. Right. Like a lot of guys, two mics on the snare, yeah. top bottom, yeah. um, two, you know, two mics on the kick. Yeah. And and it works. I mean there's a situation around it. Um and I think for certain styles of music it's good. Straight up country gig. Yeah. N- never ever found the need to have, you know, top and bottom and and two, yeah, two on a kick. I just, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, I never felt like I've ever needed anything totally. different. Well, but no, like, and it's, it, it, I, I agree. Like, you know, it's, it's gone overboard. Like, I remember there was a record I did, man, it might have been 10 years ago now at a studio. And the kit, it was a four, it was a four piece kit. I was playing two crash cymbals, a ride, hi hats. That's all the kit was. And I think the final count, including room mics for the drums, was 20. And it was like, okay, I get that 
you know, you just want different Sonics and you can play with things. That's great. But I was like, man, this just seems like way too much. Like three on the snare, three on the kick. Wow. Yeah. yeah and I was like, okay, it's a studio. I, I understand. You know, but I know with Aaron, when we, when we work live and Emil Gawazi X, our sound guy, and he's, Emil's great. He's amazing. And we won't mic bottom snare. Because uh, I'll bring a snare drum that he likes and he knows what he can get out of it's it. It's going to sound good. I'll, you know, I'll tune the kick away that he just has one mic on the kick drum and it's fine. We don't need anything inside, yeah. you know. And it's, um, yeah, that's, 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 it, it is a funny thing. But, it, you, you know, again, you, I, we work, I work with the sound guy and we work on that and we go, okay, well, what do we need? Am I giving you what you need? Am I, you know, in every show, we've played shows together. Like, Amel's been in the band now for nine years. We've played many shows and after every show, I still ask him, is it okay? Like, are you okay after sound check? I'm like, are you okay up front? Like, could I tweak something and stuff? Because, you know, if the source doesn't sound good, yeah, he's got a battle. Yeah, fight with right? that, yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's and, and that's one thing that I do spend a bunch of time, like, tuning and stuff. But not, you, you don't have to really hit a drum to tune it. You know, it's like kind of just tensioning it. You don't need to bash it to, to tune the drum. A lot of drums, I can tune them, and I just can tap them with my finger, and I kind of know, you know, just with experience, you kind of know what, tension you're at and stuff and i don't know but you have to spend time doing that that's that's a huge thing for drummers is like you know guitar players and stuff are into their gear and stuff and like man drummers should just be so into like tuning their drums like just knowing the snare drum and i can get like eight different sounds but i know bottom top head tension and snare tension and you know you just have you should know that if you don't know that it's like man it's funny i mean i'm sure you do um you wonder for for younger people taking drum lessons do they ever get taught how to drum uh, tune a kit uh, i do i yeah. teach them yeah but absolutely. i wonder how many people do i i would hope everybody because it's a really important part of yeah. what what your sound is like uh, you know the, the the easiest way to look at it is if your drums sound good you're going to want to practice yeah right if they drum, don't sound good you're probably not going to want to play because the snare is going quong and the bass you know it's like and i tell all my students if, if your drums ever sound bad and you need help i will i will just go over to their house and I'll tune the drums for them. They, yeah. you know, no one should have bad sounding drums. It's like having your piano out of tune. At your oh, house. it's the same. Drive you crazy. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, and how do you, how do you expect to like be motivated to go? Yes. We're going to go work on this. It's like, nah. Yeah. I've, <laughs> it's weird. Cause I've worked with a ton of drummers and I would say there's a small handful that really know how to tune their kit. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, yeah. And it's but an art. It, you know? and it, it is. It really is. And it's knowing, it's not just tuning the kit. It's knowing how each of us play. Yeah. You know, like I know how to tune for how I play. Yeah. I know that. I could tune for someone else, but you have to know how you strike the drum and how, just how that goes. And the only thing that teaches you that is experience, but that's how you have to look at it first and go, okay, here's how I do this. What do I need this to be at for me to get that sound or that sound? Yeah. I remember years ago, there was a, that drum clinic. Uh, a guy came through Regina. Tom Breschlein was his name. played with Chick Corea. And... Uh, um, Robin Ford and he came through and this was back like before cell phones and stuff. This was like back in the eighties and, and he would always carry around like a really, really awful cassette recorder. Like it was terrible. It was like a radio shack cassette recorder with the microphone. thing. Yeah, right? yeah. How good does that sound? And he would set it up and he would practice. And his theory was if you can make it sound okay through that, it'll sound great Everywhere. anywhere else. And it made sense. I was like, that's like the voice notes thing. It's like, if you can play, on your voice notes. I know I was doing these clips 
uh, for a while. It was the the music mashup Mondays, and I'd take a tune and I'd mash a classic drum groove with the tune. And it was kind of a weird way I would set it up. I would put my phone on a mic stand and put the headphones around my phone so we could get the audio. Yeah. And then I would play the kit, but I knew where to set it in the room. And uh, and had to play and had to get the drums to sound like they were kind of balanced with that track. And that was really hard to do that. Like some of those things, like some of those things were a minute long and it took me about 45 minutes to find the right sound. Yeah. But it was all learning and it was all like, and, 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 and I wasn't tweaking the placement so much as I was tweaking how I was playing it. Yeah. You know, and it was like so great. Like I did, I think I did it for about, it was about eight weeks. I think I did eight of them. And I just learned so much about like middle, like little tendencies of things going, Oh, okay. And it was all low dynamics, just kind of making that work. Yeah. So I see you, uh, when you here last week, you had the, the new, I forget the, that unit's called when you wear the watch. Well, the sound printer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how's that thing work? It's, uh, well, it's it, giving you a pulse. It your, vibrates. Yeah. yeah. It vibrates. And it's great on, on gigs like that. I've used it. Um, I've used it on a bunch of gigs and not as the sole metronome. A lot of times I'll use it to cue the tempo for the first eight bars. And there's so many settings in it. Like yeah. I know a lot of people have seen it. And they're they're fascinated with the 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 unit, but as a standalone app, which is a free app, Android and uh, and um, iTunes, it's a great metronome app. Yeah, it's so intuitive. Uh, they update it probably monthly, and it's really logical updates they're putting in there. So just as a standalone metronome app, I would recommend everybody to get it. Does it uh just you does it just work? Would it work on a Mac or is it just still iOS like on your phone it's or on your iPad or your just. Yes, it's just iOS. So like iPad, iPad and phone. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's on the computer, but it does link to Ableton and it links through MIDI. Okay. Like on Aaron's show, um, we did have it uh, when we were using Pro Tools to run the live tracks. We had it linked up to that, and yeah. I would have it on, and it would just vibrate. And I would obviously hear the click, but if anything ever went down, I'd still you still be going play yeah. along with the tracks and stuff. And it yeah, and it synced up. It was pretty slick. Like yeah. you know, it's 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 super intuitive. So it worked. It worked really well. I, I like it. I like practicing with it. Like I've always thought playing with a metronome was kind of like target practice for a lot of people. Cause a lot of people, you know, you have the metronome doing this thing and then you're kind of like trying to like nail the metronome. So you're like trying to physically yeah. like attack it. And it's like, no, that's not how you play time. You know, you just play in time, but it's more about not feeling where that where the click is, it's feeling that space in between. And I really find with the vibration, it just kind of gives you a different sense of that. Yeah. I find, and I like practicing with it because it's, it takes more concentration to practice with that thing than a regular metronome. Yeah. I, I'm always confused with, with guys who just want, you know, like a cowbell yeah. metronome thinking, oh, it's so yeah hard to play to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's there and you hear it, it cuts, right? Yeah. But to have, I know in studio, I always like to have and make sure I try to build yep. something that has some shakers and some you have movement to. in it because yep. it locks everybody in because yep. it gets so sterile for a drummer to have to play to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I like, you know, using the quarter note pulse is, is, is great. Uh, but it's, it's definitely not the most musical thing, but if there was some other movement in there, yeah. it would really help do that. Right. Like I know a lot of times, like in the studio, I'll, I'll just program something in Ableton and just be able to use it because it's, simulating sort of a loop thing that's going on or I'll build a loop like well I did one session I did a little while ago this guy wanted this weird sort of sound and I was like okay well what do I have and stuff so I, I put a tambourine on my hi-hat and I had my car keys and a brush 
and I was playing the brush on the floor tom and and the playing quarter notes on the hi-hat and it was giving sort of a tambourine sound and then dropping my keys on the snare on two and four and playing it real quiet and then we just recorded that and just made it like a one bar loop and then used that and it ended up being what we used on the record but it really worked great for tracking because yeah. it just sort of locked it down right that's cool but yeah it's like well it's like in nashville like i remember hearing stories about eddie bears and the track records and the band that you know they'd be getting ready to track the song and he'd play four bars of just groove so he'd be playing the groove of the song nothing happened and he'd stop counting the band and then the band had come in playing the song because he's already sort of set up where it's all going to sit and everybody's yeah. heard it and he's already got it in his body stops counts it in and then everybody's like right on it right away and it's like man that makes so much sense yeah you know what i mean it's just like everybody's hearing it and as soon as that first one comes in they're committed to what's going to shake down yeah i don't know you know depends on the drummer in your studio which is nice because i always find that some guys will sit we start the click we start recording they play like four bars with the click yeah. you know just give it a little so they're used to it yeah because there's always if you don't there's always that little rampy oh, yeah. settling into in the first one or two bars of every song that you yeah. you know because you it's hard to just play yeah bam right to the click yeah it's always good to play it for second stop count and you're yeah. in because it's in your it's in your brain then right totally yeah, yeah. and that's that's the you know the old school way cool, even yeah. thinking now in the studio like the technology is crazy now what you can do in the studio it's like it, it's completely magic but i still in my mind have the old school thing going okay the drums have to be good front to back there has to be you know this has yeah. to be solid front to back and even if i'm playing a track for someone and they're like yeah the second chorus there was a kick thing and it, it, you know, there was this flutter on the kick drum, but I'll just grab one from somewhere else. And I'll be like, well, let me just try one more. Let me play one more. If I, cause if I can give you one clean thing, you don't have to edit, yeah. you know, you don't get down the road and go, Oh yeah. Right. And it wastes five minutes of time. If I just play this for another three minutes and I can give you one front to back that, that works and you have one seamless sort of thing that you can work with. Yeah. I'm, I'm which is way easier. I would think for a producer to go, oh, okay, great. Instead of patching going, what verse did we use? How did that? It's like, oh man. Yeah, I'm about that for for everything studio wise, yeah. where I like a clean front yeah. to back, and I'm not. I know that it's not everyone's style. No. Like and in this day people, and age, that's yeah. They like being able to you know take a bunch of tracks and they'll assemble. Oh yeah, and it still works. But for me, there's still something missing. Like there's yeah. if you can get a good track from beginning. And and if you can't get a good track from beginning to end, you have to only piece it. Yeah. Then you got to get a different player. Yeah. That's going to be able to yeah. play. Yeah. Front to back, right? Yeah. Uh, and there might be multiple passes where you might find, well, okay, you did something really cool here. Yeah. I want to integrate that into the good take, right? Of course. I like that. I mean, yeah. sometimes you'll just do something. You just yeah. it just comes in right. The moment. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just a drummer thing. That's a. Uh, for me, that's a vocal thing. That's yeah, a, it's everything. It's everything. But that's human beings. That's yeah. that's the emotion of music that should happen. And those moments should be there, yeah. and everybody should catch that if they're doing a pass. Like I know in the in Regina, in the last three years, we've been doing a lot of sessions. Every four months, we we get together and we we work on two or three artists, and and it's the same band. Um, uh, two guys from Winnipeg come in, and I play, and it's some of it's country stuff, some's more folky, some is pop it's kind of all over the place but we track live off the floor yeah. all the time and every you know we aren't happy until bass and rhythm guitar and drums are like 100 percent off the floor minimal editing you know because it has there's been a lot of special moments where one person will play something and because it's that way more magic has happened later on in the song and then it's kind of went somewhere 
And I would guess as a listener, you're going to go, yeah, like that's, you know, not that you're thinking, oh, I wonder if they took that one pass. They don't care. Yeah. But it just has There's something this, a little extra this energy. It, it has yeah. this emotion that, that music should have, right? Like, and all the imperfect, like imperfections now, like you can go back and listen to whatever records and go, oh man, it's, that's imperfect. But it's like, that's, but it's the best, like Beatles and Stones and stuff. It's like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. You just do human stuff beings. and there's so many. It's funny because up in the theater here, I'll, I'll be playing, you know, old, depends what the act is, but you'll be playing old music to suit the act that's yeah. in. There's so many mistakes. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. Usually I'll take a, you know, two hour segment of music and it'll just loop so throughout the week you'll hear certain songs a, a bunch of times yeah. yeah and then you'll just start the more you listen to it the more it sticks you know and the funniest thing is a lot of these old old tunes especially the old rock and roll tunes yeah the bass player made the most mistakes oh yeah it's always the bass player yeah and it's always like you end on you know the five instead of the one or, yeah. or these weird things and all of a sudden wow they just let that go yeah and no one ever says anything and totally. no one ever knows yeah and you know if someone did that today yeah You'll be like, wow. Totally. Could, but you, yeah, and the funny thing I find with that, because I love that, but the mistakes become part of the song. Yeah. Like if you heard it back and it was played correctly, it would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of missing, missing that, that thing yeah. now. You got used to it. Yeah. Like, you know, old, old, one of the best things that I find anyways is old Little Richard records back when, you know, the rock and roll thing was going on and, you know, he was, you know, they said he wasn't a very good piano player, but he knew how to play straight eighth notes and, and, the, and the band couldn't quite play straight because it was that bridge between swing and rock and roll. So, that, so everything's a little... A little swampy-ish, but that's yeah. what made it so cool. Yeah. Like, you know, Johnny Be Good and all those tunes. It's like, that's what's hip about that. And, you know, is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know if you're going to put it to a metronome and like line everything up. Of course it's wrong, but yeah. it's not that that was never meant to be on a grid. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be like, man, that'd be a kiss of death putting that stuff on a grid. It's like the life out of it. It's tough now. Uh, I think, uh, especially for a drummer, because there's, you know, there's so much tracks going on. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing, um, and not not that it's a good thing. Right. But it really, as a drummer, especially, it changes your role. It does. Yeah. And you know, so many shows I'm seeing now. Obviously, it's the drummer's role. Yeah. To make sure, unless you're a really big tour where you've got, um, you know, a dedicated person that just does tracks. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, it's you know, there's a computer right next to the drummer, and it's yeah. his responsibility to go yeah. and. I find it it's weird because it's it seems like there's something missing live that yeah. you just kind of feel like everyone okay now we're playing really safe yeah and a lot of new songs there's so many loops and yeah. everything going on that you know you got to get that going and yeah. get you know all of a sudden the loops are going and you have to play and and it's like. <laughs> You don't even start the song anymore. Exactly. You don't. You know, lots of yeah. times you're not into the chorus. Yeah. And it's it's weird. It's different yeah. for a drummer. It's very, it 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 really is. Like I, I tell I tell students now. You know, if you get called for a gig in this day and age, you know, they're probably not even asking if you own drums. They're going to ask, can you play to a click? Yeah. Can you play along with loops? Can you run a Mac? Yeah. Can you run Ableton? Can you? You know, that those are like the prerequisites now, which. You know, that's just kind of the rules of how that goes, yeah. right? Um, I know on our show with Aaron uh, now, Shane Hendrickson runs the tracks from his base station. Uh, they just run off his laptop and stuff, and he has everything rigged in, so he just runs them. But a lot of times stuff is seemed together, so it's sort of seemed, uh, you know, as three, four, five song 
yeah bits, it just rolls yeah. right but yeah no there, there, that's definitely it you know there's a there's a lot of songs you know on aaron's new stuff where you know there's heavy drum loop things going on and you just have to find your way through that and play the parts through it and maybe you know you can you can help out the looped kick drum with some kick drum things but it all has to line up dynamically so it's a different mindset yeah you know, it's, it's a, a t- it's a completely different mindset. You have to rethink. Yeah, you yeah, you really do. And and you know, the, the truth of that is, man, when something goes wrong, it really goes, goes wrong. wrong. Yeah, I know. Oh man, years ago we were we did uh, I think we did six shows, uh, opening for Toby Keith, or like late two thousands. Um, it was Jesse Farrell, Aaron, and Toby Keith, and we were playing like you're playing big rooms like Rogers and. Um, Vancouver and the Saddle Dome and stuff. And the last show of the whole thing was in Edmonton at um, oh, the Rex, Rexall is what it was, the, the rink. And it's sold out and stuff and whatever. And uh, sound check goes great in the afternoon. And I was running the, the Mac at that time. And we had like the old, we're traveling with an old uh, uh, Digi O2 yeah. and an extra hard drive, like all the stuff you take, right? And so Jesse Farrell's set ends. We go up on stage. I'm the first one on stage because I'm the one that starts the track and there's this intro thing that goes on. 20 seconds before we're supposed to start, the little wheel starts turning oh, in the middle yeah. of the screen. Yeah. And it's like, oh man. And it's sold out and, and they're like, they're stage guys going, gotta play. And it's like, we gotta play. Yeah. And, and in that 20 seconds, you communicate to the band and go, there's no track. So everybody, you know, do, do like the band could play and, and it wasn't, we weren't dependent on the tracks, Yeah, but when it's there, it's a little unnerving when it's there in front of 10,000 people in 10 seconds, it's super unnerving. Yeah. And we played the show and it was fine, but, uh, I think it was a power thing cause they were even having problems with their video and audio with Toby Keith's show and stuff and whatever. But, but yeah, man. And then at, it was after that show, we, the band didn't use tracks for a long time. We were like, you know what? Everybody's just going to learn their stuff. And everybody's going to sing more and just really, you know, so we did that. And then when the tracks came back, it just seemed to be a little more settled. Yeah. And we still, before every show, get nervous going, well, if it goes down, we could play it. You know, I could simulate the loops of the tune. I have ways to, you know, but it's like, you don't know. Yeah. And how many people know us? Totally. You know, right? they, like, yeah. they're yeah. not going to know if it's there or not. Yeah. You know, sometimes if it's really heavy loops yeah. songs, I know, I think it was, uh, when I seen Keith Urban the last month or so, is Kelsey Ballerina had opened up. I don't think they that that computer started yeah. the show, and it I don't stop. think it stopped yeah. until the end. Yeah, it just it felt to me I didn't see the drummer move over yeah. or anything, but it just felt like that one song finished, and it was like, hey, thanks it was, everybody. Yeah. You can hear there's something going on, and, and another loop started. One thirty-two minute segment bam it just was yeah. right into the next song. I'm thinking, yeah, they're just they're just plowing through. Yeah, but yeah, it's I mean. Nowadays, you know, any of the bigger tours, there's certainly two redundant computer multiple, systems. Yeah, multiple. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. you know, when you're in your situation, when you're you're flying, you know, from one end of the country to another to get to the next festival, mm-hmm. and you're you're setting up, you know, those type of systems don't make sense. Yes, right? exactly. You be able to throw your laptop on, give your lines out, whatever. Yeah. I need to click back. Yeah. And away you go. You got to make that work. Yes. And if the computer goes down, 
Oh yeah. It's going down. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and there's a lot of technology now. Like I know a yeah. lot of bands, um, you know, travel out of ease with, and, and we have one uh, Behringer X32 and we do our monitor mixes on the iPads and yeah. stuff. And it's, it's just a little easier that way. But you know, we did run into a situation where the, I think it was the power supply was shaken loose because it's checked bags on a flight and the power supply had a problem and it was a yeah. gig in outside of Ottawa. But luckily enough, soundcheck was early enough. Emil Gawaziak's a genius and he was able to, I can't remember if he fixed it or they had another Midas 32 there or something, but he ended up getting it fixed. I don't know how he does what he does, yeah. but yeah, when technology goes down, it's like, Oh no. And it's like, well, you get comfortable with it, right? Absolutely. When it's Easy. working. And that's the thing that the gigs are getting easier because yeah. you, you can pop in, uh, you know, same little console. You can travel with a little console yeah. now. Uh, everyone dials in their ears yeah. and with their, with their phones and you get used to that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we don't have to do an hour long, you know, sound check and exactly. monitor check every place you go. Yeah. It just bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Everyone's in a couple of minutes later, you're, you're smoking and totally. away you go. Yeah. And then that, that gets taken away from you. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. We got to go back to yeah, kick yeah, hat snare. You know, bring everything. Who wants to kick? Who wants? To, yeah. that, de- that definitely separates the kids from the boys at that point to see. You know, just to see how everybody reacts when that goes on. And I know we're yeah. spo- we're spoiled because we travel with the monitor rack and we travel with our own mic pack as well. So we have the same mics all the time. That so there's there's continuity yeah. and consistency yeah. and everything, which is really good. Um, I would but, say that when you if you're traveling with a console and you, everyone's ears and ears and that. Yeah. If you don't, if you're not traveling with your own mic kit, yeah. it doesn't make any it sense. It makes no sense. No, because it, it, the microphones are, you know, it's the, the source. Sound. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It, and it's very spoiling that we get to, we get to do that. But then again, you know, and so we use in-ears on that gig and there's things where I use in-ears, but I love doing gigs where it's just a wedge and yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, well, what, what do you need in your mix? And, and, that's the other thing, I, you know, the, the, there could be a whole other episode on this, just talking about monitor mixes, because I think that's a huge thing people don't talk about, um, especially for drummers, because, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of having the, like the big drum monitor beside me, you know, half of a PA blasting back at me. I'm like, that yeah. doesn't mean a disservice. I'll play way too loud because I'm, you know, I'm going to be psyched out competing with that, yeah. you know, and my mix is like mostly vocals, acoustic guitar, bass, you know, drums aren't really even there. And people are like, well, why do you want drums in your mix? And I'm like, they're right in front of me. I don't need more of them here. Like, yeah. they're right here. That's <laughs> almost opposite than most drummers. Yeah. Most drummers, no vocal. Yeah, but but uh, it's all about the vocal. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, like last week, I had Dave pinned. And because his emotion and everything is going to affect sort of what, what's going to go on. And I and I need that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like going to the studio and wanting to read the lyrics to a song. It's like, I'm in. People have lyric sheets. I'm like, yeah, man, I, w- I want to know what I'm playing. Like, you know, maybe there's something in this story, you know, my my canvas can help paint a bit on and stuff. And and uh, yeah, I think that's really important. But again, it goes back to like liking songs, like playing, you know, listening to guys like Picaro and Russ Kunkel and you know, guys that just played great on songs. Yeah. And I, I was just such a huge fan of that. And yeah, but I know the modern mixing is, is really funny because people are like, what do you mean you don't have your kick like just blasting through your head? I'm like, because I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need, I don't really need it. You know, it's not really what I, what my priority is. Yeah. You know, I'd rather hear everybody else than myself because if, you know, if I hear them, I'm going to play along with them. Yeah, it, it's true. And and luckily you don't see it as much anymore. But yeah, you, I always dreaded when you, 
you went back and you seen there's like a double 18 yeah and you know like you said like it's like a full pa system it's a, it's gonna be that, a nightmare for the sound guy you know what i mean because like, yeah. everybody starts fighting that at that point yeah you know what i mean like you, you go okay well the guy's gonna do monitors but he's probably fighting the monitors because that has to come into the drum mics like there's yeah. no way the drum mics aren't picking that up then the front house guy's got so, you know what i mean so i just i i don't know but it's not my thing it's a lot of guys love it and it's great I just don't want that much volume. I just don't need that all thrown at me for a show because I can't concentrate at that point. Yeah, it, and it's neat. I know what you said. It's some gigs are just nice to have monitors. Yeah, like totally, and, and just have it open. Yeah, and in ears are great. Yeah, um, but sometimes you just you take them out and you just like, oh, yeah, that's why you know. Well, you dyna- get- and dynamically things can sit better too. I know when people yeah. first start using in ears, they just start playing. I've this, and this is what I found. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but they've started playing louder. And everything, the, everything starts feeling a little more stiff because it's not. The volume you know, still say, yeah. Totally, yeah. right? And, and, and I've just found that, you know, just after using them for a while, you know, you get used to how that goes and stuff. But it is freeing when you do gigs without them and you go, man, this is great. Yeah. And it's harder actually for the front of house guy with in-ears. Yeah. Because he's got he's to take your place dynamically. Right. So the, even the show we have here now, um, the Jersey Boys. So it's just four guys with tracks singing and dancing. And when they're not in ears, they usually just have one mix off to the side blasting yeah. at them. So when it's their solo time, when it's their time to sing, they have to lean into it yeah. to hear themselves. So mm-hmm. they naturally mix themselves. Totally. But when I put them on ears, which is you know better for the show, um, and it saves their voices over, you know, doing 18 shows in whatever days. Yeah. Then now I'm doing, as a front of house guy, I got to make all those changes. Yeah. So when they sing leads, you know, I'm bumping leads. I mean, yeah. my left hand on vocals, it's just constant. It's like I'm playing piano. Yeah. And it's just, because they're just, they're just comfortable now. Yeah. Now I'm just singing. I hear myself great. Yeah everything's going along and I'm just going to sing and they lose the sense of, of singing together totally. or singing solo yeah. stuff. And that's, and that, and that translates to everybody with ears in. Uh, it just, you get to a certain volume yeah. where you just hear yourself nice. And then when it comes to solo time, especially that's where I find it most, you know, so it's a guitar solo time or anything. Nobody boosts themselves anymore yeah. because they can hear already hear themselves. Right. They don't have to, boost themselves to hear the him right over there. the band it's yeah. there so now as a front of house guy now you got to do all that boosting right now. yeah and it, it's so it's it's good on one end but for the front of house guy it makes it yeah you know it's a, it that it is a, that is a different psychology for yeah sure. and it is about balance like every instrument is about balance i know on drums you know because you know there's there's a few limbs going at the same time not all the limbs are playing the same dynamic balance interweave not all the same limbs you know not all the limbs are playing exactly at the same part of the quarter note you know and you just have to understand that you yeah know? And i think that's important for drummers again when you practice dynamics one exercise i work on with a, with a lot of students is dynamic independence and just being able to play like a simple groove and keep everything quiet but then could you just raise the volume of your kick drum but not have it influence your right hand or your left hand yeah and not that you would necessarily because it sounds way out of context and really weird when you practice like that but it just lets you control that because a lot of times there's songs where you know the kick drum's got to be a little louder but the hi-hats have to be quite soft and the snare's got to sit somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And it's like, man, how do you do that? And it's like, well, you 
practice. That's a, you know that's what a I mean? real good thing to teach. Totally. It's it, and it's you know, it's like um, well, John Robinson's a great example of that on like the um, the Michael Jackson record uh, off the wall. You know, if you listen to those tunes like Rock with You and stuff, and the drum part, it's like. And that kick drum's right on the quarter note, but that snare drum's just leaning behind a little bit and dynamically. And it's like, well, that's just how music kind of works. Yeah. But now drums, you have all these other things and your whole body just doesn't go up and down like animal. It's like, there's this whole interweave to stuff that goes on, right? Yeah. A lot of drummers will fall apart, especially if they yeah. have to play softer. Yeah. Or just part of it soft. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, oh, could you play the, the kick drum just a little bit quieter? Like, yeah. The groove, then everything just the goes, whoosh, and it's like, yeah, well, no, 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 just the kick drum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unless you practice that. Uh, totally, like said, absolutely. You would right? not know how to do that. Yeah, but again, you know, if you're if you're practicing chops and speed and stuff, which is great, and, and I love all the guys that can do that, and it blows my mind, and, you know, and I work on stuff like that too, I'd get fired for playing it on a gig, but I do work on it. But that's stuff that I'd rather practice because I look at that and go, well, that's, that's longevity. That's guys like, you know, you listen to Jim Keltner and Steve Jordan and all these amazing drummers that have done all this stuff. And it's like, well, that's what, that's what they can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're just so into just the whole, they, they understand all of what they're doing and they don't need to do everything that they do. They just need to do that one thing and they know exactly how to do it right. And I'm like, how do they know how to play all the right notes? Exactly. Like, how do you, how do you make that decision and do that right all the time? How are you that good? Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, everybody needs to practice for is kind of, that I guess I don't know. It's funny when I see him. Uh, last time I seen James Taylor, uh, you know, obviously the band's great. Yeah, and and they're so reserved. Oh yeah, that that's whole that's the show. best part. Yeah, and they're just and then uh, what's James Taylor's the blues song he does? The, oh, uh, Steamroller. Steamroller. Oh yeah. So they get the Steamroller. Yeah. And he basically, I think it's James like, okay, you guys can just give it a bit more. Yeah. And so it was solo time and yeah. the band just like took it up a notch. Yeah. And it was just like, oh yeah. I just sat there with my mouth open. It yeah. was like, oh my And those, gosh. and those guys like yeah. Mike Landau, Jimmy Johnson, oh, yeah. Steve Gadd, like yeah, Steve on. was just, Steve Gadd was just like, you know, everything. So, and then he just, everyone laid into it. Yeah. Right. And the guitar solo was just yeah. killer. Yeah. And they finished and went whack right back yeah. to James Taylor oh, mode yeah. and never, no, that's, you know, we had a little moment yeah, and then bam, right back. And they never, you know, oh, swayed man. off that. Yeah. And, the, all. Crowd, I mean, that, and the crowd all fell off their seats and oh, just yeah. freaked out. And it was, it was great, a moment, right? Yeah. And it was great because they didn't do that the whole show. Yeah. And, and it made that moment just pop. Absolutely. Like, it was yeah. Unreal. yeah. Like you, like you say, restraint is, that is one of the most overlooked things in music. And it's one of the most important things yeah. is, is cause, cause you make things a moment and, and all songs have a moment and there's, you know, you have to look for those moments that, that things can happen or they can't happen. And yeah, I think that's what experience teaches you and, and listening to music that has that is just kind of figuring out that, okay, there's these moments and stuff. And there's sometimes you don't give the audience the full reveal. You just kind of, you just kind of stay at 50% and you just stay there. Yeah. And they think you're going to 70 and you just stay at 50. And, and, and that's, there's an emotional exchange in that, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what we said the other day. It's, it's not what you play. It's what you don't play. Absolutely. It really yeah. is. And I know it sounds cliche. Like yeah. there's so many lines that are like cliche. Oh, less is more, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's really, it's really true. Yeah. You know, it's at, yeah. In certain contexts, it's like, absolutely less is more, you know, it's, so I'd love to. I'd love to play in a band and play the least. Like, look at a guy like Charlie Watts. 
You yeah. know, he may plays the least amount of notes of anybody and makes the most money. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you uh, about your uh, your school. Yeah. Because uh, I know I follow you uh, obviously on on Instagram and all that. All the stuff that goes on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really really cool. I really admire what you do with your students and and you know I you know I see all these events you get together you get yeah. all the kids to play and and perform and put bands together and have these great moments and yeah and you know i don't know if people around here are doing that yeah i'm sure there is but well uh, yeah the education thing is 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 huge um I, I started teaching back when i was in grade 12 and again had no business doing that but taught and really learned how to do it and i'm really connected to it like i you know there's no part of me that teaches just to teach, I, I honestly believe, and this sound, will sound crazy, I honestly believe every person, everybody's a drummer, they just don't know it. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think people would be lying if you ask someone, okay, I'm gonna give you these sticks and you can go sit down for 10 minutes on that drum kit and play whatever you want, it doesn't matter if you could play or not, no one's gonna be around. I think people would be lying if they said, nah, I don't wanna do that. Everybody wants to do it, you know, cause it's, like it's awesome. Yeah. And so my, I, I realize that my job is to not have as many people play drums as possible, but as many people experience it and, and understand that, you know, this instrument is universal and this instrument is the heartbeat. And this instrument is, you know, it's the and drums are the oldest instrument other than the human voice known to man. You yeah. know, it was communication, you know, it still is communication in some parts of central Africa. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm really connected to education. And, and when we started the school in 2002, um, the, t- the teachers that were there, we had a lot of experience. Uh, Ray's obviously taught for a long time. And there was just this common psychology that went into how we were going to teach and, and you know, sort of our approach. And the approach wasn't um, about us at all. It was, it's always been about the students and whatever they want to learn, we'll go that direction because that'll motiv- motivate them to practice. And yeah, now the school, like we've been in business for 17 years and I think... I think we have 17 teachers now. And at the end of last year, I had done a tally on how many years people had been teaching. And I think the total number of years experience teaching in the school was 202 years, wow. something like that. It was kind of crazy. And yeah. it doesn't really matter. It was just kind of yeah. out of my own curiosity um, for that. But everybody is an, an amazing teacher and they're there for the students way before anything. Yeah. And I, I love it. Like I think, uh, you know, someone said to me tomorrow, uh, you know, you have to pack in playing. I'd be bummed. But if someone said to me tomorrow, you have to pack in teaching, I think I'd be really bummed. Yeah. Because it's been a real big part of kind of who I am and, and how I play. I, I know when I play, I even find myself, you know, thinking in terms of the psychology of how I teach students or my approach and stuff. And, and I'm still learning on that too. There's so many different ways to do it, but, but I absolutely love teaching. And then that just became an extension into all the other drum stuff that went on over the years and is still kind of going on. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's super important. It it really is. And, you know, I think of, you know, Regina Mm -hmm. and having someone like you there, it's got to be great for that city, right? And it's, it's, you know, because you're not going to get that everywhere. And, and to be, you mean, obviously Regina, you're isolated, right? Yeah, And totally. And you're not going to be able to hear uh, in Ontario, you know, you could drive to Hamilton to take a lesson. You could drive to London. You could drive to Kitchener. You could drive to Toronto. Yeah. You could drive. You know, people have so many opportunities. There's people all over the place teaching, and yeah. and you know, and when you're Regina, 
Well, yeah, you got to you got to learn from someone in town. You're in Regina. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, you could be nursing the next best drummer there. Yeah, you never, you know, you never know where the the next person is, and and I think it's very. I, I think too, when you get older, there's there's something that is very satisfying about giving back. Yeah, like everything that you know, we should all be you know taught or you know made yeah. to spend a certain amount of time to give back 100 uh, which which you learn i couldn't agree more and that's you know when, when a lot of people um you know ask why i'm still in regina how, how how have you stayed there for 49 years how have you know why why don't you move somewhere else whatever again I, i've had opportunities to leave but i've never really had like a reason to go anywhere and now i'm really seeing it that it's like that that is my job is to kind of go you know what i I'm in a position to give things back. And uh, you know, as well as I do, music's good for a community. It builds community. Yeah, those kids need you. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and I also am a firm believer that kids should get to play sports and play music because it teaches them some of the most important things in life. You know, teamwork, discipline, yeah. uh, you know, just everything that goes into that. You know, and being a good person, being responsible, safe, everything. Um, but yeah, when I, when I was a kid, the backstory on that stuff was when I was a kid in high school, again, the fluke of growing up at that time, St. John's Music used to bring in a drummer. It was like every month and a half, there'd be a drum clinic that came through town. And I'm new to playing, so I don't know what's going on. And the very first drum clinic I went to was in 1983, and I saw Phil Ehart from the band Kansas. Wow. And I, I didn't know what a drum clinic was. It was $5, you show up, and this guy's got this gigantic Yamaha red recording custom kit i remember this like it was yesterday the peisty symbols and stuff and he comes out and he starts playing carry on my wayward son but there's no band but it's just him playing and it's just like this is unbelievable and then he starts talking in between and teaching things and talking about what he does and i'm like this is great so all through high school they had brought in clinics and i saw david garibaldi from tower of power and um uh peter erskine uh who was playing with weather report uh dave weckel like all these amazing players and then after it was almost right right after high school i guess or or around that time it just kind of stopped and it never happened anymore and that was always burned in my mind it was like that was kind of a cool thing and then it was in 2006 i did a local event which called drum and sunday and just had some local guys and we had people and stuff and it just kind of went kind of went from there and then you know 2008 uh, brought up Billy Ward from New York, and then 2009, Kenny Aronoff was there, and then Don Thelmier was in 2010. And I, I had said to him, we were out for dinner afterwards, and and he said, "So where where do you want these clinics to go? What what you know what is this?" And I said, "You know what? I really want it to be a festival. I'd love to like do a festival thing. Again, it's this fine line of brave and stupid. And I'm walking on both sides all the time." And uh, and he said, "Well, just do a festival." I'm like, "What do you mean, just do? A f- <laughs> what do you mean?" He's like. Get a couple guys and do a festival. I don't know, like do something. So the next year, it worked out that in 2000, was it 11 or 12? 2011, um, Keith Urban was in town for two nights yeah. and I ended up getting a hold of Chris McHugh who was playing drums with him at that time. Yeah. And he was into doing something. And then I ended up getting a hold of Sean Pelton who plays with Saturday Night Live. We played on Cheryl Crow's records and stuff. And he was available, flew him up from New York and we had this, the first Regina drum festival with Chris McHugh and Sean Pelton and the guys had played on like hundreds of records that year. Yeah. I was like, how does this even happen? I don't even know, you know, and then it just kind of escalated from there and became 
went into the Stickman drum experience and all this other stuff. And it's, it, it's really great. Like, I still don't know if I comprehend what it, what it was or how it happened. Cause I don't know, like, you know, I was out for lunch yesterday with a friend of mine from Ingersoll. He runs a, a drum podcast and we were just chatting about stuff. And he said, how'd you do all that? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I got a hold of a guy on Twitter and said, Hey, I do this thing in Canada. Would you be in? And he got back to me and said, yeah, man, here's my email. Let's talk. And then it just kind of worked out. I'm like, what? That's, yeah, that's so fantastic. weird. But yeah, yeah I, th I think, I think the community likes it. I think that they come out and see, like, I know there's one coming up on September 6th. Chicago's in town on September 7th. And, uh, well, Fredo Reyes Jr. is the drummer right now for Chicago. And he played with, like, Lindsey Buckingham and Steve Winwood. And yeah. his dad's, like, a legendary percussionist in Cuba. So him and the and the um, percussionist from Chicago, uh, Ramon Yislas, uh, they're doing a clinic together. Oh, so awesome. that'll be kind of cool to see yeah. those two guys together. And okay. hopefully people show up. I don't know. So where do you where do you usually do your different same spot all the time? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a venue in town called the Exchange. It's called the Cultural Exchange Society. Yeah, and they treat us great, and it has a PA and lights and everything, and it's part of their giving back to the community. And yeah. they they wanted more education stuff, so we sort of partnered on this, and uh, and we do the yeah we do all the events there, all the stuff that we've done the Q and As and stuff. We do our we do a once a month all ages jam uh, that we started last year. We do it there. Um, starting up again in September and uh, yeah they're great they, they they treat us like a million bucks they host shows all the time but yeah, yeah the drum stuff all goes on there because it's a nice solid venue to to use I'd but, love to start doing more stuff out here I've always I, for the last three years I've said to people you know I'd love to try one clinic out here in this area to see if something could happen oh I'm sure out of curiosity you know cause, well you'd be smart once you know you have someone booked in there yeah. you know hit hit Calgary hit totally China, oh yeah hit Winnipeg yeah, um, you know, yeah. do like four or five. Yeah, there was days. a moment. There was a moment a couple of years ago. I was talking to some guys in Winnipeg, uh, and one of them was actually the owner of the Winnipeg Jets, who's a he's a hobby drummer. And we were talking about creating the Trans Canada Drum Festival, and right. it was going to be like a Winnipeg on a Saturday, Regina on a Sunday, yeah. and stuff. And and uh, one of the guys from Doc Walker was sort of involved, and and there was talk of like maybe using their tour bus and that being the thing. And it was yeah, just like, yeah. whoa, this is getting out of hand now. This is crazy. <laughs> and it was like it was inches from happening, and then it just didn't. The timing didn't quite work and stuff, yeah. so it didn't happen. But there's there's all kinds of things rolling around in my brain that you know something could happen. Every, people in town don't know what's going to happen now. They're, just, they, you know, they're always saying, when's the next thing? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, okay, he doesn't know, but there'll be something. I know there will be. And who well, knows what be, it could uh, be. It's got to be exciting for the people in Regina to have that happen. It, I think I, yeah. I, I think it is. You know, yeah. I, I don't try to think about it too much. And, you know, it's, it's never about me patting myself on the back going, oh, I'm doing this thing. Because it, that is so not the reasoning behind it. But I think they get it. You know, yeah. I did a, I did a guitar day a couple of years ago. It was called the Pickman Guitar Festival, and uh, and we did one day. And Murray Pulver was in from Winnipeg, who played with Doc Walker and played with Crash Test Dummies and stuff. And he did a thing, and the, and some local guys, and it was awesome. And there was a trade show and stuff, and it was it was kind of cool. I was going to do one last year, but those things take a lot of energy to put on and cost money and stuff. And yeah. it's just it has to be the right time. You know how busy you are here and stuff, and it's, you got to balance things out and. Yeah pick and choose your battles i guess right yeah well that's pretty awesome so, well we had a pretty awesome conversation there i think so i think, I think it, it kind of went ground it kind of went all over the map it's kind of like me again it's like I, people that know me listen <laughs> to this and go ah there he goes that's how it happens so i've always wanted to ask so if you had to pick your your dream drum kit <laughs> without jumping on any sponsorships <laughs> or anything you might be in play 
What's what would be someone could drop down and say, "Here's a hundred thousand bucks. Buy oh, whatever my you goodness want. Gracious. What would you get?" Oh man, you know I. That's such a, that's such a hard one. I'm kind of a gear geek, but I'm not like obsessed because yeah. I like a bunch of stuff. Like I remember, you know, back in the '80s, the drummers that I liked, um, you know, and those drum clinics I went to. I remember Philly Hart and that big Yamaha recording custom kit, and you know, I would I would say like that classic red recording custom yeah. kit but i just bought one i bought the new version of the surf green one which i love them but i don't get to play my own drums very much because i'm on the road and it's backline yeah which is fine um and i do and i do you know deal with yamaha drums i i'm an artist with them um i don't know but but then you know my friend ron Danette from regina that makes Danette classic drums and and the george way drum company he makes amazing stuff too and and it's like sort of sort of modern vintagey and using all these exotic woods and you know i i like supporting local stuff yeah you know what i mean great. like it's great using sabian symbols are in canada and using you know headhunter brushes and stuff you know they're in they're in Brantford, and it, i don't know i don't know it's I'm, I'm not obviously there's things i like and i know how to get my job the job done but i actually you know what if you said i'd give you that much money and you could buy a drum kit I would I would buy one of Jeff Picaro's drum kits that he recorded right. with the Total Record. Yeah, one of the Pearl kits with the Pisces symbols from the. Uh, yeah, that's what I would buy. That's yeah. exactly what I would buy. Yeah, and I would sense. just set it up somewhere and just wake up every day and, and sit in front it. of it and look at it. That's all I would do. <laughs> I would just sit there and go, "Oh yeah," and then I just play like the Total Records in the background. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's I uh, great." Did you ever see Jeff play? No, I, I. You know what? I never did. And years ago, Toto used to play in Minot, North Dakota, which is four hours south of us. Yeah. And I and I never went, and and it was such a drag because. Yeah, he was just such a. I, I was. I just thought he was great. I saw almost the whole band play at Nam. Man, and you know, obviously years ago. Yeah, I remember walking through the Nam show, and they had this. I forget who it was for, and I almost want to think it was Peavy of yeah. all people. Yeah, and they had just this big enclosure, right? Yeah. And you could, and you could see there's a lot of people inside, and it's like it's like anything at Nam. You just see a crowd of people. You go and see what's going on. Right, of course. So, open the door, and you you, know, you walk in, and it's just crowded, and you can't really see. And uh, they they were just starting to play. Yeah. And uh, I kind of looked looked up, and just as the first kind of beat started, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's Jeff!" No. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the whole band. That was total. Oh man. Uh, and it was like twenty minutes of playing. Yeah. And it was it. At that time, it changed my life. Yeah, like it was yeah. like I never. And there was, it was that same year. I, I find the Nam show now, and I love going because I'm a gear geek. Um, but years ago, they used to have guys playing everywhere. Oh yeah, and there'd be people you've you had no idea who they were. Yeah, uh, you know, some LA guy that you know probably plays in a bunch of stuff, but you just don't know who it is. And you go to this room somewhere, and there's this jazz trio playing yeah that just blows your mind you can't believe people play that yeah. that well oh yeah. and they just don't have that no anymore there's maybe a single person on a booth or something yeah um but yeah it's just it was that walked into that little sound booth and culture yeah. and everyone's jammed in there's probably about god i'm guessing like probably 75 people jammed in really and like in a room half the size of the room we're in now man that would have been stunning. Yeah, it was 
That would have been mind boggling. That would have been incredible. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. And, and, you know, and Jeff was on so many different records, you know, he was on a Rodney Crowell record. He was on the dire straits on every street record and he's just on so many things and he just always sounded so good. Yeah. And, and, you know, any interview that I've read, um, you know, has said he was the nicest guy and that really came across in his playing and the whole Picaro family. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not funny because two of the brothers have passed away now, but Steve Picaro is still in the band. So there's always been a yeah. Picaro in Toto. Like that's just how yeah. it goes. And Luke, they're still there and Lenny Castro's back playing percussion on this tour. And yeah, so it's still like they've retained this, this thing that has been them like the, the I think it was the last tour David Hungate played and David Hungate played on Toto four and then moved to Nashville and then played on all the records in Nashville. Yeah. But yeah, it's a real family. It's a real family. And I don't know. I don't even know what it is about his playing. There's certain things I dig, but man, he just, whenever I hear him, it just makes me smile. Yeah. That's, and that's what it does. Like, honestly, when I hear him, I just like, that's it. That's so great. So it's yeah, good. To I'm glad you got to see him. Yeah. But now with YouTube and his brother, I, I watch him lots. Oh, Mike. Oh man. Yeah. When their dad, like Joe is still playing. Yeah. You know, he's, I think he's in his eighties now and he's wow. still, still playing and teaching. And he might've retired from teaching last year, but he was teaching at, um, the LA music Academy. But yeah, man, it's yeah, it's crazy times. Yeah. Living in LA, it's, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be tough because there's so many good players. Whole other I mean, world. Yeah. It just, yeah. You wake up every day thing. motivated. Yeah. Out of necessity, not out of like anything. You just have to go, man, I got to fight for my job every day. Well, you know, we're in a way we're lucky being in Canada. Uh, I think we have a lot of opportunities, a small uh, population, but yep. we're able to, um, as players go out and do some pretty big, cool gigs mm -hmm. and not even leave the country. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, there's, you know, unfortunately, there's not enough gigs to sustain you right. year round. Um, you know, that's the only issue is like, I wish there was more places to play. Right. right. Yeah. More, you know, because obviously if, if you were just relied playing with Aaron, yeah. well, there's no way you could just do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's and, the reality of how the industries went. Yeah. And, and diversity it, is key to kind of anything. Well, to be successful, I mean, it, you're smart. I mean, you've yeah. you've created this great thing in Regina with your school and 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 your drum clinics and all mm -hmm. those things you do there, and but then you know be able to go out and be available for all these you know yeah other, other gigs and not worry about okay I got to play this weekend yeah or it's a it's a it's it's a very unique position honestly yeah it's it's and and I don't take it for granted because I know that and and you know I don't know how it even happened I have no idea it wasn't, wasn't planned but yeah and there's a lot of things like you know being able to write articles for Modern Drummer Magazine or Canadian Musician Magazine and stuff like that and being on the Modern Drummer Education team and stuff it's like I'm in Regina like why how does that even like how is that possible yeah. but I guess how isn't it possible yeah you know what I, you know what I mean like I mean it we're friends nowadays. we're like hours away flight wise and, totally and you know here you are you know we're hanging out doing this thing we were working yeah. together last week and stuff and uh yeah I I and, and I don't I try not to think about it too much because I think if I do you psych yourself out you just kind of you know you go you, you wake up every day and do honest work yeah and do your best and and I know that um you know, my kids, I, I have three kids and, and that motivates me 
to do my best all the time because I don't want to let them down. Yeah. Uh, my and wife they see that. Yeah. My wife's yeah. in the industry and yeah. <laughs> she, she knows she'll call me on anything <laughs> if it's, if it's not going right. So, you know, there, there's accountability in it, but yeah, it is, it is, it is kind of funny. That is, I mean, it's a, a neat thing with your wife to have. Yeah. Is that because sometimes, you know, as you know, you could play with people and you'll leave and everyone will sit there and talk about, well, okay, what happened with X player or that right. player. Yeah. But sometimes they just need to know. Yeah. Maybe they don't realize. Yeah. And then the whole band's crapping on them yeah. behind their back. And sometimes some people just need to be told. Yeah. And I mean, if you just do it in a polite, you know, respectful yeah. way. But I find a lot of musicians are very, uh, what's the right word, protective yeah. of their position because there's not a lot of positions available. Of course, yeah. Um, and and I find that a lot of musicians, if they make a mistake, will never fess up to it, right? right. Yeah. So as someone you know, maybe who is a singer or who is the producer of the show or the, you know, whoever it is yeah. outside of that area. If nothing gets said, uh, then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, did, did they know they made a mistake? Yeah. Or, right. um, and I think I, I mentioned earlier podcast, some of my tech guys, if I send someone out, that's the first thing I'll, I'll say is, okay, if you do something wrong in the show or something happens, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's intermission or right after the show, whatever it could be, go right to the artist and confront it. Yeah, because they don't know right whether you know that something happened. So if you don't say anything and they don't say anything, then you just walk away. It's like, well, geez, I'm never gonna use that guy again. Or yeah. or that was really it stays with you for days, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and I've had that happen to me as a player. The worst thing for me is being on stage and I'm watching all, what all the tech people are doing. Yeah. And instead of entertaining the audience, you know, all of a sudden I'll hear something go on in the PA or the lighting will do something weird. And I'm like, uh, did they just, did they do that on purpose? Or what's, you know, what's going on? And it's just, it's awful for me. But yeah, I'm just super aware of that stuff, yeah. right? But so many people are too afraid to admit when they make a mistake. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's real fun. It's funny. Like again, as a musician, we're all artists. We're human beings. Yeah. We right? all make mistakes. But yeah, exactly. Make a ton and, of and, and yeah. And sure. Egos are fragile and stuff, but yeah, I'd want to know like if, yeah. if, if, if I did something wrong or something wasn't right, someone just has to tell me once. Yeah. Like I know when I, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I didn't have to be told a lot of things. I just followed you know, actions speak louder than words. And I would just follow and go, oh, that's how you do that. Okay, note to self, right? So if I do something wrong, I would hope an artist or someone would say to me, hey man, this isn't quite right. And I'll be like, okay, I'll fix, I'll totally fix it. Yeah. I'm, d- I'm down with that. Like I could, I could repair it. You know, there's no problem because it's, again, it's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but if they don't say anything, then you go, must be fine. Yeah. No news is good news, I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's and the honesty thing, honesty with, each other in a band. That's when, when you play with a band for a long time, you can be honest because there's trust. 
So you yeah. can be brutally honest. Like I know some of these emails after Aaron shows and we listen back to the thing, man, some of the threads in the emails is just like, holy man, some people would just like pack it in or, you know, but it's just, it's just honest. Like it's just coming from a spot where it's going, man, we want the show to be the best. Yeah. And this is honestly what needs to happen. And you're not doing your job right here. And this is wrong here. And that's, you know, it's like, yeah. And then you have to be honest with yourself as a player. Like I know, yeah. as, as, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for people to, to play and go, yeah, I'm nailing this. It's great. And I'm like, are you really? Because if that's the first thing, you know what I mean? It's like recording yourself play and you listen back and the yeah, first thing you go is your head go, it sounds great. It's like, does it? Are you sure it does? Because I don't think the first thing out of your mouth should be, I sound great. It's like, no, man, there's got to be something. You just got to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that if, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to improve. Yeah. And I think it's good, you know, to come off stage and say, yeah, that was a great night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but also look at things that you can, you know, I'm the word I'm constantly looking yeah. at how can we make this better? Yeah. How can we make this? Well, better? you have to, like I said, how last week, the last Dave's last show, we're still tweaking stuff at the yeah. last intermission. And yeah, that's just the, you know, like the, this whole thing is a journey. There's no destination when you're playing. So I think the first thing people have to realize is I'm never going to be as good or as accomplished as I want to be. Cause I'll always be striving for more right up, to the end of things. Yeah. And, and I think that if you can be comfortable with that, there's just an acceptance to go, okay, that's cool. But I, I think a lot of people think about the reality of that and go, oh man, that's kind of frightening. Like that's kind of weird that I'm just not going to get to that point and go, okay, I'm there. It's like, no, but then, you know, the carrot keeps going further and then you go, I still have to keep chasing this carrot. And that's, yeah. you know, I think that's a really big thing for people in the industry to understand. Yeah. And it's you know? okay to, make mistakes it totally is and they're gone you know yeah. like I, I i you know students will ha- will talk about that and they'll hang on to stuff i'm like you know what if i if i blow something if something goes wrong which it will the notes are at the back of the room i can't go get them and bring them back so you yeah. just have to move on to that next moment as quick as you can yeah you just don't make sure you don't do another 10 times exactly exactly because <laughs> that's not a theme at that point that's just a whole bunch of mistakes man and I, you, I, yeah and you I can't hang on up, to it in your head i goofed up yesterday at the top of the show like large for me and uh it's funny because the guys in the show, you know, I said four singers, four straight mics to top top of the show. They come out and mics are set and they sing. So, you know, ours, they're all wireless. I went out and turned them all on. And this year they decided to do something different. So at the end of the show, they usually leave the stage, head kind of straight to the lobby or whatever to meet people. It's part yeah. of the thing is last song and straight through the audience. So they usually take their microphones with them. Right. And... They decided that in our situation, our theater, that, well, we can just put our microphones back on the stands and then we can leave without, and I thought, yeah, it's great. And I don't have to hunt them down and and all that stuff. So the next day, which was yesterday, show started, I turned the mics on and I, you know, went, checked them all, everything was working. They came out and my levels were like all over the place. And the first song, each member of the, uh, of the group all sing a solo. Yeah. So they're, it's all group singing and each one doing solos and nothing's coming up right. Well, when they put the microphones back at the end of the show the day before, it wasn't in their opening mic position. Oh no. So they were, each one were flipped <sighs> back and forth. And so I, I seen, you know, the, you know, channel one was now two and two was one and channel three was now four and four. <laughs> 
and they got inners in, right? Yeah. So they're hot in each one of their mics. So now the person next to them is singing. It's it's super loud, and they can't hear themselves very well. So I'm looking at. Them, so I could see. Oh, so I, they're looking over at me. So I figured the first two. It's like making hand signals. You know, those two mics switch. You know, making the the hand signals, and then I had to get the other two guys. So right at the the end of the first song they both you know they switched and, yeah. and we were fine yeah and then it took me like three songs you know i'm busy doing whatever I'm, but i was in back of my mind just, yeah how did i do that how totally did, how did i screw that up and i says i you know and i'm thinking to myself i don't i don't remember putting the the microphones on again i couldn't remember anything from my regular schedule yeah. right right of course then it was about the third song and it was like Oh yeah, they put the microphones back at the end of the show yesterday, and in a totally different position. So it was sort of like, it got fixed. Nobody knew. Yeah. Uh, it was just a cluster of a first song. Yeah. And but, intermission. I hauled my butt backstage, and it's like, sorry guys, that was yeah. you know, yeah, you know that. And it comes down to it, it was my fault. You know, I should have checked. Right. And but I just didn't think to check because it's they're normally on the right man the, fun, the funny part about that is not that it's funny but i don't think there's any other job there's probably some where stuff like that goes on 160 people are wa- watching this is happening all in real time and you've got to solve this while it's happening and these people have paid money to be there watching these guys so you have this, this side of the room not sure what's going on this side of the room probably doesn't have a clue but they're sensing maybe something's going on and you're kind of in the middle going, ah. Oh, I know. It's, it's, you, <laughs> you learn madness. really, you learn really quick. One thing, if, if someone says, what are you really good at? It would be like, I'm really good at troubleshooting. That's, you know what? If you're good at that, you're good at life. Yeah. It's you got to tr- be able to figure something out. <laughs> and it, like you say, admit it and kind of laugh about it. Like yeah. it's and, not the end of the world. And four songs later, my mouse that I used, on my my lighting rig, uh, just decided that it wanted to to move at about a quarter of the speed that it normally does. It was track <laughs> tracking and like, and there's really quick changes in between songs. Oh, so I'm brutal. I'm just moving the mouse over to set myself up for the end of the song, <laughs> and it's like oh, I'm, I'm moving it like back and forth, and it's still just moving like so slow. And that it's just, show would have felt like twelve hours long. And and literally, it was maybe two seconds before my cue had to happen that it came back to life again. Really? Yeah. Man. And I'm thinking, okay, what could this possibly be? So, you know, I'm thinking, yes, there's battery still. I know that it's not dying. And then I thought to myself, I wonder where, where I'm, I have the mouse. It's just not tracking because it's maybe dirty right. or something. So I just moved the mouse over a little bit. And bam, it was back. Yeah, and, and the was, show is still going on at this point. People are still laughing and enjoying oh, the show. Oh, it's going on. It just and, <laughs> and literally, it was it was a blackout, a complete blackout, and then bam, right in the next song. So I had to blackout, get the next cue up, and be able to fire. And I couldn't do anything. <laughs> Man, but it came to life, and it's like, all right, got it. That's done. insane. You needed a blood pressure monitor on just to see what was yeah. actually going on. And that was after on. the microphone said did its thing. But. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's. Yeah, and that stuff can go on at any moment during any show. To any of us as a player, tech, any anything, that could just happen. Yeah. And, you know, you only have one choice is to figure it out. 
You can't get up and leave. Yeah. You can't sit down and cry about it. And you have to figure it out real fast because it's all going on in real time around you. Yeah. Yeah. Troubleshooting, I would say for anybody, that's one that's one great skill to learn. It's, Absolutely. It's like you gotta, that's you know. that's that's one of the biggest navigators through life, I think, is just troubleshooting yourself and everything around you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you, I think that that's uh that's a that's a valuable lesson. Yeah. I think more and, people should put emphasis on that. And you know, you think I look back at that whole microphone situation and thinking, okay, well, here's a show. Yeah. And you got four microphones. Yeah. And that's really the show. And you screwed it up. You know, it's and that's and and but that's the thing I've always learned. The easier you think the show is, yeah, and because it's not necessarily it's not an easy show. But I find that if I got ten things to do at the same time, mm-hmm. I'm firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I'll make it all you yeah. know, it will all happen. Yeah. But then I'm down to one or two things yeah. and I got a bit of break between my cues or something. That's when you'll screw up because you just kind of instant of of autopilot. Yeah, because your focus goes away, right? Or you start thinking about something and oh man, yeah, all the things I screw up on. I was like, all right, I screwed up. You know, yeah, and the best thing about that, and I and I tell my students, my kids, and everybody, there's two things in life you're never allowed to be. You're never allowed to be a complainer or a blamer. And you didn't complain about it, and you didn't blame anybody else. You just stood up and went, "Sorry, guys, that one's on me." Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. Well, you can't. You can't blame. Me. I said, yeah. I, I told oh, some him, people, said, some people would. Yeah. I said, I, I, I told you, yeah, I sat for three songs before I figured out what happened. And I said, yeah, I figured out. Cause when you guys came back, you know, so we all figured out what happened. I wasn't using it as an excuse. I'm just yeah. saying I couldn't figure out why totally. I would have made that mistake. And obviously the stupid thing was, cause all the wireless microphones are labeled with one, one stripe for one microphone, yeah. two for the two yeah. stripes. And so if I were, was looking when I turned them all on, I would have right. seen that there were, yeah. but it's always saying you always have to double, double check. Four stands, stuff. four mics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> once, That's what was there yesterday. Oh, once <laughs> one of one great faux pas I did years ago. This was with a, with, with Beverly Mahood. Uh, years ago, it's a little theater gig up Muskoka somewhere. And, I was doing sound, but they had no monitor tech at this theater, but they had a monitor system. Right. So I went down and got all the monitors put in with the monitor console side stage and then went up and got front house. So everyone was happy. We finished sound check, went had dinner, came back, um, just kind of walked out. I was at front of house, the show started and everything's going, but I thought I had the sense that something wasn't quite right. And I looked down and Steve Hogg playing bass. And he just looks up and he points to the monitors and it goes, gets me like, you know, nothing's happening sign. And I just realized I muted all the monitors after sound check. Oh no. And at the start of the show, I forgot that I had muted everything. I just went up to my front of house position. We started the show. So there's no monitors, like nothing. And I'm at the back of the theater, and the only way to get to stage is straight through the audience yeah. and right up the front of the the stage, right? Or else you had to go out the back, down like four flights of stairs, underneath the whole theater, back up the other side, oh. and leave my post, right? Man. I hauled butt. Yeah. All the way back there, and I made it back 
there by the time the first song finished and i was yeah. like yeah. you know unmute hey guys sorry <laughs> then I had to go all the way back up to the front of the house again oh yeah like, oh and you know what till this day th that mistake still haunts me it does <laughs> He's still talking about I'm it i'm talking about it right <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like how could i have been yeah so stupid yeah to do that but for me i look at it well that's an honest mistake that's yeah. a muting that's a, yeah it was on a mistake i don't know but i care yeah right? totally so it still bothers me today because yeah. I, I care about making everybody happy right. and make sure everything's correct i guarantee that's not going to happen again yeah, well, you never know. <laughs> it's probably it'd be, well, it'd be funny to, to to have a book or guys just sit around and talk about all the stuff like that that's went on because there's gonna be thousands of stories <sighs> and crazy just, stuff that you know just fluke things that went on or like stuff. It's like, how do you oversee that or how do you you know? Yeah, it'd be unbelievable. Well, and they, uh, I'll tell one last one. And I was out with uh, Red Green on the last tour, and. We had started, we did a tour a couple years ago and uh, uh, had another engineer out um, on the tour and we were having problems in the States with the wireless. They were cutting in and out like yeah. crazy. So we weren't using like the very best system you could get, uh, but it was, should have been fine. Yeah. But it was getting hits and, and it was getting knocked out like crazy. So I met them, uh, in Buffalo, they were three shows later. They're up. And we swapped out the system and gave them like top of line sure rig should be fine. It was everything's fine. So that tour was fine. We're doing this tour last year and everything's been fine. And we get to um, where we're we in Milwaukee, I think. Um, and uh, sure enough, there was before the the uh, show started. There was someone who was shot out in front of the theater. And so there's all this tension and all this stuff going on anyways. And sure enough, I think that's the same gig. I'm pretty sure this was the same gig. Um, this is a little more than monitors being unmuted. Yeah. So we, the show started and comes out and maybe 10 minutes in, you know, Red's doing it. And it's just him doing a stand-up routine. He's talking, yes. That, and it's just like, oh no. He's, he's got a, you know, good headset on the whole deal. And it's getting out <laughs> and it's not like a singer where there's still a band playing right, right of course and um and i'm like oh no like we've used this rig for the last hundred shows or whatever it was and it's you know scanned and everything before the show and everything was fine during sound checks everything was great show started yeah. for whatever reason you know, a bunch of new electronics stuff, whatever it was, was happening around the area that yeah. caused all this problem. And I felt so bad. Uh, and on top of it, I was having, having an allergy attack. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> I know. So I, I felt like crap already. Yeah. Yeah. And this was happening. And so we got through an intermission. I went back and I kind of changed frequencies and kind of did whatever I thought, moved the receiver in a better area and i thought you know and it seemed solid yeah. second half started we're like 10 minutes in started <laughs> over again and finally we kind of got him to a handheld um and it was fine uh but man i felt same thing wow I still, yeah i still feel that's help you're helpless still feel right? horrible yeah i mean because it's 
it's my it was you know well it's, my thing but um but he was helpless you yeah. know you we allow uh, you know everyone's sitting there listening to his jokes yeah and if you hear every other word well it doesn't quite come across <laughs> <They're> not, the same <laughs> so it's not like, quite as funny no and and he was getting frustrated yeah and, well uh, to- yeah totally right yeah so it was uh yeah i felt really bad so next tour is happening next year so it's yeah. it's definitely you know i definitely have got uh you know there's going to be like six wireless yeah strapped <laughs> to them like at every possible location exactly. that you could ever possibly get so exactly they're gonna and because in other shows we usually have a four channel wireless system and yeah. you know two belt packs and and a couple of handhelds close by yeah but that particular tour is a little shorter uh, that system was out, so yeah. we just took a, a oh, two system, so one man. backpack, and we had one handheld. Yeah. So not the redundancy that we normally have, but yet it's been working great. Yeah. Never had an issue, totally. and then I found out why not later that that city's like all these frequencies and and things are changing in the states. They're being sold off. Oh yeah, I thought so, I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah it, I found out later. I read in some trade thing that that city had just implemented a bunch of new oh really um uh frequencies being so it was just swirling there. around yeah so oh, i'm thinking you well, didn't have a hope it probably was <laughs> they were up that, to get but, you with the allergies yeah. and everything oh yeah it was just like oh man but that's like doing a gig and you know the stage guys forget to change batteries in your monitor pack and it goes out halfway through the show or yeah. wireless mic goes down or you know that's just yeah that's you hopefully only do one of those yeah and, exactly uh, because it's unnerving when it's going on. Yeah. Because you're helpless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had that too. Batteries go. And um, and sometimes they just go because you have, a, it's fine. Yeah. You changed them yeah. and you have a bad battery and it just yeah. drains it all of a sudden. Sucks it all down. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. And all right. of a sudden it's, it's gone. But anyways, I'll let you go. It's been great. Yeah, what? man. Thank you so much, Darren. I, I really appreciate your time today. And, and, and last week, it was a blast, man. I'm going to remember that forever. That was such a great week I of, had a, of a working of out here. Yeah, it was. You were great. The band was great. Everyone enjoyed themselves. So uh, we'll see you in in the fall. I'll be out your way. So we'll, we'll hang out for sure. And everybody come out to the Walters Theater. This place is incredible. It's a beautiful property here in, uh, in Bright, Ontario. Thank you. And where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can go to my website. It's Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N, Brinkworth.com. And then from there, you can get to all the other social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. There's some videos up there and stuff. I'm hoping to do more little lesson clips this year and stuff and try to find a way into that world. I kind of suck at that, but I'm trying to get better at it. Need nah, more activity good. going on. So Yeah, your I Instagram stuff is great. Yeah, I, I try. I try not to make it too. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't. I try not to complain about it. It's just drum pictures and pictures of my dog and my family. And yeah, I love the I little little video clips when you're just sitting there playing a cool groove. Yeah, and you've you know you, you can tell you've been sitting there for a while. That's that was on the Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll probably do more of those because those are really fun to 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 do just for a personal like as a practice thing. Yeah. But I think some of them were kind of cool, like playing the Rihanna tune and playing the groove for um. What did I play under that one? Uh, somewhere down a crazy river and 50 ways under another pop tune. I don't know, but they were there. Yeah. That stuff, that stuff amuses me. That's kind of just a gas to sit down and do that. Cool. Uh, also, uh, follow this podcast on Darren Walters podcast.com and on iTunes in session with Darren Walters, please, uh, subscribe 
and uh, tell all your friends to subscribe. This helps us with our ratings and gives uh, give us a rating, hopefully a five star rating if you could, and uh, help us with the iTunes uh, ratings there, of course. And uh, thank you, Jason. That was awesome. And uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.